It's a five-star podcast. Because we do it. What's What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another week of the What's Real podcast, episode 175. I am your host, Ed Demko, along with my cohort, co-host, co-conspirator, co-contributor, and my co Tag team championship partner in Hordem, the Jay himself, Jerry Bajoris. What's going on, the Jay? All right, that time it really sounded like you called me your cohort. I know you said cohort, but that it definitely sounded like. Oh, I did. Yeah, I did. I did so several we're, times. We're the tag actually, team champions of Hordes yeah. as well as Hordem podcast, if you will. Yes, but as you could tell, hey Ed, your boy the Jay is pumped, fresh. Brand spanking new episode of the Dub R question mark, the What's Real podcast. We hit the mid-170s in our episode count. Hey, at 175, I am pumped up, man. As pumped as Norris, McQueen, and Swayze, but not who you're thinking. Mike, Chad, and Don, baby. But they're still pumped. Let's do the damn thing. And uh, we have a action-packed, injected episode for you guys this week. Uh, we're going to head down to the world of wrestling, where we're going to have a lot of wrestling this week. Uh, we're going to check out the brand new Peacock documentary, uh, The American Nightmare, Becoming Cody Rhodes. Uh, we're going to head on down to the dark side of the ring and take a look at an event this week. This is for all about the Bash at the Beach 2000 pay-per-view from WCW. And it is the return of the most action-packed segment in podcasting. Of course, I'm talking about Thursday Night Prime, and we're going back to 1992 this week with Death Ring. And uh, and of course, we're going to take a look at SummerSlam as well. So let's just get into it. The J first up, uh, pretty sad, uh, sad news uh, at 87 years old. Uh, famous All-American director William Friedkin has passed away. Uh, he's best well known as being the director of The Exorcist and, of course, The French Connection. But he also did films such as Sorcerer, Cruising, To Live and Die in L.A., Killer Joe, Bug, The Boys in the Band, Hunted, uh, Rules of Engagement, Blue Chips. And one of the more underrated ones that I was thinking about, the Jay, with uh, David Caruso is uh, Jade. Yeah, it's a pretty solid flick. Not a lot of people talk about it, but uh, uh, definitely a big loss for the world of film. Uh, because, you know, not only is he a prolific director, but also just somebody that uh, was a consistent supporter of the arts, so to speak, and, of course, filmmaking. So, uh, And it's not uh, an easy person to replace, and he, he pretty much is not replaceable in that regard. So uh, very sad news, even though, uh, you know, he lived to be 87 years old. Oh, very sad, man. I mean, all, all you can say, and like you said, dude, you, you ran through his awesome filmography, and, and there's a lot more to it, too, but... Just off the bat, man, the freaking Exorcist. I mean, talk about a classic. That that's another one of those ones that was a little bit before our time and falling into becoming film nerds eventually and stuff, and of course getting into that. But previously to even being able to see it as a really young kid, that's another one along the lines of Halloween. I always told that story about my, my mom talking to me about Halloween before I could ever see it, how much it scared her and stuff. And, and that of course was the same thing. But add in my dad as well as my mom talking about that one, like, oh, the exorcist, like people would faint in the theater or have to leave and everything. I mean, as they say, hey, and I got to say it, they don't make them like that anymore. And, and I was a little bit of a, some humor in this uh, sad passing of William Freakin. I said to you, it's I kind of feel that William Freakin would have wanted to pass a little bit before the the reboot trilogy comes out, which the trailer dropped for that, you know, ex, the exorcist um, from... Blumhouse. So 
Uh, but yeah, I mean, this this dude was somebody I looked up to, and with such an expansive filmography, I still just have to go to the classic that is The Exorcist. And it was a little bit before our time, but I know on the, before on the podcast, I talked about how my mom would talk to me as a kid before I was allowed to watch Halloween. And she built it up in my head so much because of how like it freaked her out and stuff. And she's like, there's this babysitter getting stalked by this guy in this mask and everything. And it, like, I couldn't wait to watch it as a kid, you know? And it was similar to The Exorcist. My, both my parents, though, uh, specifically told me about that. You know, I remember my dad telling me about how the news would, would even report people passing out in the theaters and having to leave and everything. Um, I, as they say, hey, you know, they don't make them like, like that anymore. You know, they don't make them like they used to because that, that's just a time capsule kind of thing. And that movie freaked out the whole country. Yeah, it's uh, I always say there's three movies that are solely responsible for the American horror film. And it's Night of the Living Dead, Texas Chainsaw Massacre and The Exorcist. Um, they just they're they're vastly different films, too. So it's a it's it's another thing that kind of sets them up that way. Um you know, Friedkin was definitely a very much lauded director for a lot of reasons. Obviously, he directed The Exorcist. He also directed The French Connection, um, which, I mean, great film. Won Best Director and Best Film, you know, Best Picture. Um, it's a, well, I think he won Best Director for The Exorcist. I might be wrong on that, but it was it was nominated. Okay, that's what I'm fucking. Yeah, it had ten, but, 10 nominations in, uh, including best picture and best director, but it ended up winning for just screenplay and sound. Okay, but nonetheless, you know, still, you know, French Connection's the big winner. That one won best picture. I know that, uh, and it beat out, you know, Clockwork Orange, just for example. So clearly, it's a it's a major major film. Also directed Sorcerer Cruising. Uh, which is another great one to live and die in LA is another great one. Uh, the boys in the bands one that doesn't really get a lot of hype from a lot of people. I mean, it, it has through the years, but I think that's died down and that was even before the exorcist. Um, but you know, what can you say, man? It's, and it's funny too, like another one on top of it that I know we all kind of liked, which is, this is the one that like weirds me out that this is William Friedkin. You know the one that every time I watch it, I'm like, fuck, this is William Friedkin. This is so weird because of what it is. And I definitely, when I saw it, I, like I, I was aware of this movie for years before I realized that William Friedkin did it. And it's Blue Chips. Oh, right. Yeah, the basketball film. Yeah, with obviously, you know, Nick Nolte, Shaq, uh, Penny Hardaway, um, you know, a bunch of other, you know, Bob Cousy's even in it, but still uh, pretty surprised. Oh, and that's another movie, by the way, uh, which uh, Marquez Johnson is in, who is uh, the guy from White Man Can't Jump that I was talking about, the J, yeah. off yeah. the air. Uh, so that's kind of weird. To, and obviously, Ed O'Neill shows up in it. Obviously, Al Bundy himself, when he was still Al Bundy. So it, it shows you his range. Definitely. But, uh, you know, great filmography, obviously one of the most important directors in American history and in the history of film, no doubt about it, just solely for The Exorcist. But uh, when you add in the rest of his catalog, uh, a lot of interesting films, definitely classics in there, some cult classics as well, and uh, certainly a one of a kind. Uh, there's no other director ever quite like William Friedkin. As, as you stated, Hayad, which was a, a great comment, 
we're just gonna really miss his influence. You know, even even yeah. being in the '80s, just having William Freakin around. So, as we shouted out here on the show, a rest in power to William Freakin, uh, dying from heart failure and pneumonia at his home in Bel Air on August 7th, 2023, at the age of 87, as you mentioned, which on top of that, he had was only three weeks. He was within a month from his 88th birthday. So he passed away a little bit before turning 88. Very unfortunate, but uh, obviously rest in peace to William Friedkin uh, from all of us here at the What's Real podcast. So uh, time to move on to uh, happier things, of course. Uh, we got to hang out for a couple hours this weekend. Uh, we both attended Gross Fest. Uh, if you guys are listening to the show and you've probably heard the ads for it that we have on here. Uh, but good time had by all. It's independent horror film convention. Um, I went to help out uh, some friends from the Drunken Yinzers Productions. The J stopped by, kind of hung out for a while. And, uh, you know, overall, it was just a one-day show, but a uh, really fun show. I think everybody was pretty much happy with it. Everybody had a good time. Uh, and, you know, brand new hotel for them. So that seemed to work out pretty well, uh, too. So, you know, a uh, fun thing to do over the weekend for sure. It, it happened to be. So I had a destination wedding when I was married in 2010. So when we came back, we had a big reception party in Pittsburgh. And then there was a shuttle service that a lot of our guests uh, took and got a hotel room at the same hotel. So that has a special place in my heart, that that hotel, and in a good location right off the parkway. Hey, it, it didn't take me long on Saturday to get there, which is always a plus in, in traversing Pittsburgh, as we always bitch about. And for those that don't know, it's entitled Gross Fest because the proprietors of Gross Fest are the Gross Brothers, Tim and Tom Gross. And uh, Tom's the man, um, and, and Tim is uh, one of our best friends. He's a really close friend of ours, so we definitely want to support him. And, and I had a blast, man. Met some great people, uh, mingled and collaborated with other fellow independent filmmakers. So I did want to take this time to shout some of them out while we have the platform, Head, uh, I did meet Maddie Deering, who has d- directed two uh, Shot to Video films uh, her first one was called spirit animal which i purchased on dvd in her new film bathtub shark attack she actually screened uh which i i had to leave before the the screening but i did support and also purchase a copy of uh the blu-ray of blue t- uh shark bathtub shark attack had witching hour very early here and a yep. shout out to uh mark Cantu who I met that's a fellow uh, local Pittsburgh independent filmmaker. And he was there uh, pr- promoting his new film, Wolf Hollow. So I bought a copy of that and, and got a signed poster with it. So I uh, haven't had any time to check anything out, but I definitely will. But truly wanted to give some shout outs to some fellow local filmmakers. You know, I was telling them like maybe it's a possibility for us to collaborate in the near future with our company, Churchill Pictures. You never know. But as you know, hey, that's what it's about, networking and and meeting good people that you actually want to collaborate with and have fun with and create some art with. So uh, it was was a great time, man. Really enjoyed it. Absolutely, man. Uh, You know, I kind of had the same experience. I've known Maddie for a while. I still have yet to see Bathtub Shark Attack, but I'm going to see it in a couple of weeks. I'm going to like a little event for it. So that should be kind of cool. Um, but, you know, I, I think she's great. Uh, local Pittsburgh filmmaker uh, does kind of her own thing. So, like, that's really cool. Uh, obviously, you know, there, there was a bunch of independent filmmakers there, which is, uh, you know, the, uh, not just the point of the event, but, you know, kind of a nice change of pace from what you normally get at a typical horror convention. Uh, and obviously, you know, some people you know, that I wanted to shout out as well. Uh, first and foremost, I wanted to bring this up because I've known him for, 
you know, since he was a teenager. Um, but uh, Jim Roberts got a uh, Lifetime Achievement Award uh, from Gross Fest, which was awesome. And congratulations to Jim on that. He definitely uh, deserves that. Uh, and of course, uh, Drew Marvick, uh, who's another uh, director and creative that was there, uh, came in from the West Coast. Uh, super cool guy. Uh, and he's the guy that um, he did Pool Party Massacre, by the way, which was one of the movies that they had, uh, you know, and Drew directed Pool Party Massacre, too. That was another big one that they had for the weekend. Yeah, it looked interesting. So, but yeah, I I enjoyed just mingling. I mean, that's, you know how it is. Hey, that's how it happens. Like I was saying, meeting the other filmmakers and everything. I mean, you have to network at, at the level we're at. You know, you have to kind of develop your team. And then, you know, you have kind of backup plans with people you can trust, even that aren't in your like initial filmmaker network so uh it was it was definitely a good time and, and we had some laughs i, I met your boy keith oh, yeah. and, and it all started talking about I, I gave him some props for his uh old school pirate hat like the one with the the rings around it and uh we went from there but he he was a, a character but a cool guy and, and also your friend nico i, I met your friend yeah. nico uh who's a really cool guy who i'm sure i'll be be seeing again and hanging out with uh, when a bunch of uh, that crew of ours get together, when I could finally maybe make uh, one of Dan's get-togethers and stuff, but but yeah, Gross Fest 2023, uh, the first one since prior to the pandemic. Uh, they haven't had the, been able to have one since uh, the pandemic threw them off because their first one was, was in 2019. So I'm I'm happy to see for Tim and Tom and, and and just the community, you know, the local Pittsburgh community. It's a lot of good people are are able to to throw Gross Fest a fun time and get back on track. Absolutely. So uh, look forward to doing that again next year. Uh, hopefully they're going to have a multiple day show. Uh, so we'll see how that goes. And we'll obviously be talking about it here on the show. Um, but also this past weekend was SummerSlam uh, from Detroit, Michigan at Ford Field. And we did the preview l- last week. So let's run through it the Jakes. We did both watch this show. First up, uh, of course, the match that we actually said would be first on the show, Logan Paul defeated Ricochet by pinfall in 18 minutes. And this match was fucking great. Like, awesome. There, there was a little sloppiness, uh, but they kind of got their shit together pretty quickly on that. It ended up being a really good match. And, dude, I know there's people that would argue with this, right? And I know that he was wrestling last year, but I'm talking in a 12-month span. Okay, because I guess his first match ever was at SummerSlam last year. Um, dude's probably the rookie of the year, legitimately. Like, like he's still green, but like the shit that he could do, he's really athletic. Dude seems like he's built for it. Um, and you know, you were saying about uh, just Ricochet off the air. We were talking about this fantastic showing by him. But and as we always talk about the Jay, you know exactly where I'm going with this perfect way to open up SummerSlam with this type of match. Yeah, I was I was loving this. Uh, just to give you my setting, hey, Ed, I watched it live Saturday night with my son, Jace, who is nine, and my wife actually watched with it because as we've talked about on the show, as, as hey, Ed knows, because he's been hearing me bitch about it for six months now, I've been remodeling at my house and it's kind of turned into a bit of a nightmare. So we only have one TV, you know, other than the, in the kids' rooms uh, with their little TVs uh, that my wife and I are, are able to watch right now. So she was cool enough to kind of do some other stuff while we had uh, SummerSlam on. But she she could be into wrestling, you know, especially a big show like this. And, and just to get her take, because she hates the Paul Bros 
as as most people. And she said, okay, he won me over, Logan Paul, because she's like, yeah, he is really athletic, and this match is, is amazing. But, yeah, man, so many cool spots in this. The, the one that really stood out for me, and there was a lot of them, but the one where he did the, uh, it's kind of like the slingshot. Uh, it's part of like the slingshot lariat. The STO where he just, on the floor. He flipped over the top rope, landed it, and STO'd him. And then Ricochet almost smacked his head off the, the guardrail. That was crazy, but a ton of good stuff. And then the, Great showing for Ricochet. What the hell was it? The moonsault into the tornado DDT? That was unbelievable. Yeah, for, for those listening that might not have caught it, Logan Paul did a, a moonsault off the top rope as ricochet was standing and ricochet actually caught him and then logan paul turned it into a, a tornado ddt it was and dude, an amazing spot okay now i'm sure there's somebody that likes wrestling that's listening to us right now and they're probably rolling their eyes a little bit so let me throw a little perspective out there at least from my perspective about logan paul but there are people like you know i can't believe these dudes like him or whatever you have to remember me and the Jay are solely from the era of pro wrestling where every fucking celebrity that had something to do with it generally looked like they hated the experience in real time. They didn't even want to be there. Yes. And now we're in this era of Logan Paul and Bad Bunny where these guys are like athletic. They put the time in. They seem to care about it. They like Logan Paul could just come out and fuck around and they'd probably still book him anyways. Um, but like it begs a kind of a weirder question here that I was thinking of when I watched this to Jay. So I'll pose it to you. Is there, cause like we talked about this before on the show, just when it pertained to other stuff, specifically movies, how like major influencers from YouTube or Instagram or whatever are getting cast in movies because they know that they have a huge following. Is this opening up the door for influencers to essentially find their way into the world of professional wrestling, uh, especially if they're athletic and able to do this type of stuff, then it shouldn't be really too far out of the wheelhouse for them. And I'm sure there's going to be more than one that gets another opportunity. That might be the case, Had, but in my opinion, I don't think so. I, I think that Logan Paul is an anomaly. And, you know, you, you kind of have other examples, like you were mentioning, going past the, the ones that, as you said, just didn't even seem to be there, just didn't work out, did goofy stuff, whatever. There was the 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 guy that plays Arrow that's on the Fuel show now. I was literally going to bring that up because of the Cody Rhodes documentary that we're going to be talking about. But he was like the first one that was like, oh, damn, this dude can actually go a little bit here. This is something different. Yeah, Stephen Amell. And, and it's ironic that he ended up producing and starring in a – a professional wrestling TV series, which is heels on stars. But my point is he was decent, as you said, but it was like, he kind of came and went, you know, he yeah. did a match or two and that was it. Logan Paul is completely an anomaly. And one of the things too, to look at with Logan Paul is the fact that you talk about some of these guys coming up that are rookies and, and they're really great in ring. And a lot of these NXT guys, like an, an NXT guy that has just ridiculous in ring pedigree that gets called up. But as we always talk about, it's like, man, they got to work on their character. And are are they ever going to hit that upper echelon of mass media appeal that that gets you, you know, booked higher and, and gets you to those higher tiers within the WWE system? Logan Paul comes in with the celebrity and cachet, like you're saying, with the personality. Then you throw in the fact that he is as good as he is in ring. And and as you mentioned, I'm right with you. He's green. 
He he's not perfect. He he still has to learn and he still has to get his reps. However, being the anomaly he is, it, it's really an advantage for for him to already be the celebrity that he is as far as the WWE. It's goes. his character. So his character's him. <laughs> it's him, and they and they appropriately, as we said last week in the SummerSlam preview, they appropriately made him heel, which he's a natural heel. Obviously, it's been working out. Huge reactions. This this props Ricochet up great. You know, I hope they use this momentum. Where if you watched Raw, you know he's involved in uh, the match to uh, maybe go for the Intercontinental, which he lost. But <laughs> kind of talking out loud, besides my point. But nonetheless, big big moment for Ricochet. Really good match. But but back to Logan Paul. Yeah, I. I I don't think it's going to be easy for other people with him opening the door. But again, there can be the door is open now. There can be somebody that, that can also be this kind of rare person that can come in and, and actually understand what the WWE is about and can learn in ring and be athletic. But I think that's going to be a, a one in a million shot. I think Logan Paul is, is a rarity in, in the WWE. Uh, and it's one of those things, Eddie. He kind of—it's—I'm not saying he's making it look easy per se, but with what he's doing, he did kind of make the transition look easy, just like Bad Bunny. But it's not easy at all what they're doing. Oh they're no, definitely anomalies. No, definitely not. So, uh, but I just think that there is going to be an opportunity for anybody else that has the type of influence that these guys have uh, to be able to get a shot. Um, I think this is more of the future of what the celebrity in wrestling is going to be. Um, because it's at this point, the benchmark's already been set, so you're not going to be able to, to go back and just bring in the goofy celebrities anymore. It's not going to work because everybody's expecting them to be like this or they don't want them there. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that works moving forward. But, uh, yeah, I definitely think that's a possibility uh, with, with the way that these guys have been in the ring. Uh, and look, looking at our tr- uh, predictions too, hey, Ed, we had Logan Paul going over here because – we mentioned in the preview that he had lost his four previous ma- matches and he kind of needed a win within storyline. So I think that was the, the right way to go. We kind of called that. Yeah. And we were also right too, that it was going to open up the show. So yeah. Cause he had to get to his brother's fight, which by the way, just since we brought it up last week, Jake Paul did uh, win by a unanimous decision over Nate Diaz the same night. Snore too, for what it's worth. Snore yeah. snores <laughs> fucking boring garbage. Uh, the second match of the show really surprised the fuck out of me because I was not expecting this right here. But Cody Rhodes defeated Brock Lesnar by pinfall in 17 minutes and 35 seconds. Um, I like this match better than the first match. They are vastly different matches. Um, I like the way they're booking Cody. I Dude, I've never liked Cody as much as I like him right now. Um, I, think, I agree. I, I think I'm, they're, I'm with you on They're that. killing it with the character. I've liked this feud. I love the way that they ended the feud. Uh, and they did the sportsmanship thing with Brock finally being like, all right, you know, and gave him his props, uh, which I thought was the perfect way to do that. They've really, like, dude, this is, I want to see something like this more. They had three matches, and they took place over the course of several months. And they had a few run-ins on television. And it kept getting ramped up. You know what I mean? Like Cody kind of beat him on a fluke. And then Brock beat him stupid and beat him. And then this ma- and then Brock would come on Raw and embarrass him in front of his family. And then they have this match. And it's like, it's, it's the perfect babyface fodder. Uh, it's the dude that gets the ever-loving shit kicked. It's Bruno. That's what it is. He gets the shit kicked out of him. And it 
he still keeps coming. Does right. not stop. It's it's more important than just the match, like that kind of shit. And he earned Brock, Brock's respect, which I think was a really good way of putting that into storyline. Um, dude, my, but this is my biggest worry, and you know exactly what I'm about to say, that they're going to fuck this up. Um, I'm starting to think that Cody should have just won the belt at Mania. Um, especially with some of the other stuff that we'll talk about as the show goes on. Um, but they gotta, since they didn't do that, they're very limited on how they can pull this off with Cody and you can't have him come up short. You can't have that. It's, that's not how this works. Um, if they do this right, they could easily transition, I think, from Roman to Cody. I really do. That could be a big if, though. Hey, you know. oh, well, <laughs> so, especially with them. Right. And the, the other thing that comes out of this, too, is due to Brock's contract, he doesn't have any more matches on his contract for, or appearances for 2023 within WWE. So he's not retiring or anything. He is re-signing, and this is all internet fodder, as we always disclaimer, but nonetheless... It looks like Brock Lesnar won't be having a match uh, uh, until 2024 and come back Rumble or Mania season. So and, he'll be kind of on the side too. And dude, I'm okay with that. I, you know, I was watching right, Raw no, that's last fine night for Brock. And uh, the main event of Raw was a tag match. And basically, at the end of the match, uh, in the ring, you had Cody, you had Rollins, uh, you had Nakamura, and you had Sami Zayn. And I'm like, that they're actually kind of getting it all sorted out. Like, they have some stars. Like, they have to be careful of how they're using these guys. Um, and it looks like Nakamura is going to play into things as a heel. Um, so, you know, they got some stuff they can do. And it's, it's decent. Like, I was worried about Raw for a while, especially whenever they came up with the, the new world title. Because I'm like, oh, this is just all going to seem like secondary to the Roman shit. But I feel like they've done a really good job of different, like the the undisputed world title, which Roman has, is the storyline belt. And the world championship that Rollins has is, and it's kind of what Rollins said going into it, it's the workhorse belt. He's had feuds with dudes he's able to have really good matches with and stuff like that. So, uh, And it looks like they might be doing something with him and Cody moving forward. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's solid stuff. So I'm not mad about it. I'm with you. They're, they're developing things as they go, because a lot of people, uh, you know, criticism coming out of SummerSlam was that a lot of the superstars weren't really in any kind of coherent storylines, which is a whole other thing as we've been talking about with AEW, uh, we won't go there in this segment, but nonetheless, and I think that it is smart to kind of reset on Raw, as you're saying, and, and kind of differentiate who who the top contenders are going to be. And then you have SmackDown and, and everything going on with Roman. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what they do building up. Uh, what is the next pay-per-view next month that's actually in our hometown uh, of Pittsburgh with payback? Uh, because, you know, it, it goes fast, as we always say, and we're, we're heading straight into the, the fall season and, you know, some important stuff with Survivor Series and everything. So it's definitely an interesting time in the wake of SummerSlam to see what, what is going to be going on on Raw. Yeah, and it's going to be a challenge for them to keep up their momentum. And I, I hope exactly. they, I hope the they can do it. 
Uh, because like you said, Brock's going home. Cody's still here. Keep building on the momentum because I think that Cody literally is right there with almost just about anybody except for Roman as far as being big stars in the company. They've done a great job with Cody. And I'm, uh, dude, a note, and I, you know me, like I, I'm somebody that typically has bad things to say about what the WWE does. Like, kudos to them because they've done a fantastic job with him ever since they brought him in. And I'm actually really impressed with it, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's been a good good run for Cody so far. Now, of course, we had the 25-man Slim Jim SummerSlam Battle Royal and an 11 minutes and 55 seconds. LA Knight won last, uh, by last eliminating Sheamus. Uh, I called LA Knight last week. I figured that would be the way that they were going for that. Um, it, it, you know, not much to review here. It's kind of a stupid thing to even have on the show, but they just wanted to give LA Knight a win, and that's how they decided to do it. Well, of course, they had the surprise of Omos coming down, getting announced as a as an unannounced previous to the the day of the show competitor. So that kind of scared me. I'm like, oh, please <laughs> don't have Omos win the battle royal because he was kinda, he kind of won like the last few he's been in. So yeah, yeah, that could have happened too. But yeah, L.A. Knight's just so over. Uh, at least he got the the battle royal win for a start. Absolutely. So. Smart move there, I think. Uh, and it looks like they're transitioning him onto other things as well. Uh, feuding with The Miz, it looks like, moving forward uh, on Raw. But, you know, it is what it is. So hopefully they get through that quickly and can kind of find something better for him to do. Uh, next up was the MMA rules match. And in seven minutes and 30 seconds, Shayna Baszler defeated Ronda Rousey by technical submission. Um, the crowd absolutely hated this, um, chant boring amongst other things, uh, during the, the match. Um, you know, I, it was okay for what it was. It wasn't too long. I actually thought they did a pretty decent job with like the work shoot shit that they were doing. Like it didn't look like shit. It looked like they were kind of smacking each other around a little bit on certain stuff. So, and, and it's a good win for Shayna Baszler. So I'll give her that too. Um, I wasn't offended by this like I thought I was going to be, but it's probably just because it get, didn't go too long. Yeah, I, I thought the MMA rules thing was stupid. They they just didn't it was, really explain dude, it well enough. It, it was stupid. Abs- and just like I said last week on the show, I just I they just did a better job with it than I was expecting. I agree. I, I agree with that. They did, and but the crowd didn't buy it for the most no, part. No, no, it would do. It's uh, that's something that honestly I understand too because like it looks good to us. But when you're there live, it's like, what the fuck is this shit? Like, I'm not here to watch this. Get it out of the fucking ring. I want to watch the next match. Yeah, because on top of everything, you're you're there live. You don't have the benefit of the commentary to even exactly remotely explain anything. So they, you know, they're probably sitting there like, what is this? Like, what are the MMA rules? Like, what the hell are they doing? It's it's just, I I just hate they they keep trying to do that with with the kind of mix of, of getting some people that have been in MMA and UFC dude, they, and everything. They've done it forever. That's that's they, they, they have for, done it for dude. A while. They, they did try it with to Shamrock the, the brawl for it all. The, yeah, the Shamrock stuff, the raw underground and it just has never even come close to working well you know what's funny on the other side of things you've never watched ufc and they're like dan henderson's fighting fucking matt hughes in a pro wrestling match because that would be dumb that's not what their fans want to watch if they wanted to watch wrestling they'd watch wrestling not mma and vice versa i said that too exactly but it was what it was good win for shana nonetheless seven minutes and 30 seconds uh, and there is a possibility that Ronda Rousey is done with the WWE. 
Um, I don't know for sure. I don't think anybody really does now. Um, but I'd also think that we could probably agree on this to Jay as a uh, good riddance and goodbye. You can leave at any time and nobody's going to care. Yeah. I mean, her initial, when she first came in, it yep. was pretty good. Her initial run and it just went haywire since then. And, and again, it's just really, you know, speaking about Logan Paul and his attitude, it just feels like, and we, and we don't know at all. It's just fan speculation. I completely admit that. But it just seems like she's one of the ones we were talking about that just didn't seem like she wanted to be there. And After the initial run, paycheck. it's like one. After the, that's what I'm saying. After remember the initial run. when she had that time period where like the fans were kind of turning on her? It seemed like ever since then she was just like, "Fuck this! Why am I even doing this?" Not realizing that that can set you up. Like she could have been a great heel, but it just never you know came to fruition. Yeah, if you're not into it, it's not going to work. You and know, she you need that believability. And she had a kid during it, so she was out for an extended period of time too. So it's like maybe it was something she was serious about doing, but after having the kid, she just didn't really care anymore and you know, and they that kind of showed. I don't know. Like she either there was some reason why she wasn't as into it as she was the first time around and it definitely showed. Yeah, we'll we'll keep an eye on what's going on with Rousey in the coming months. See what happens. Next up was the WWE Intercontinental Championship matchup, and in 13 minutes and 40 seconds, we saw Gunther defeat Drew McIntyre by pinfall. Uh, this was a fun match, as expected. Um, you know, they work very well together. Like, they they just match up well. The size, just the way that they wrestle, they could both easily take the worst of each other's offenses and stuff like that. And frankly, this is the way I felt about it when it was over. I'm like, yeah, that was pretty much exactly the type of match I expected from these two. And that's and we I don't mean that well. and I don't mean that as a bad thing either. No, we previewed it well, yeah, because they beat the shit out of each other, which is what we said. Both of their chests were hamburger meat, ridiculous chops and chop battles throughout this. Uh, it was a heck of a match. I think it could have been a lot better. It could have been a classic with these two guys, but it didn't go that route. But it was still really good, and I think. Gunther is about a month or so away from breaking yeah. the 35 year old intercontinental reign record of one honky tonk man. And dude, so. a random thought that uh, popped in my mind during this match these two would make a super fucking fun tag team. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, chop, the chop bros, yeah, the like, chop cousins. They would be fun just to, you know, two shit kickers in there, but. Doesn't make any sense for them to do anything like that, but it's just a thought. I'm like, yeah, man, these guys would make for a killer tag team. Uh, but, you know, maybe down the road. You never know. Uh, next up, the World Heavyweight Championship match. And in 18 minutes and 30 seconds, Seth freaking Rollins defeated Finn Balor by pinfall. Um, another fun match. Um, now, with that being said, I don't want to see these two wrestle ever again. Okay, it's enough. They've been going at it for months. Um, I did appreciate how, you know, like uh, the interference stuff that they did with the Judgment Day and the Money in the Bank briefcase and stuff like that. That's the one thing that kind of kept this one interesting to me. Um, you know, no fault of Balor and, and Rollins. They're both really good. They work very well together. It's just when you don't have, like we said last week, uh, Rollins is going to win. There's no mystery. Uh, we've already seen the match happen numerous times. What's the purpose? We figured of he wasn't going to cash in the briefcase. Yeah, so it's like, what's the point of watching it? But I, do, the reason why I was had a little bit more of a heightened alert for this match was because when I watched Raw last week, they did kind of an angle where Priest was going to, you know, turn in the the briefcase, uh, and Balor kind of, kind of, sort of, subtly fucked it up for him, 
And that's exactly what happened in this match. Priest came down to try and help, and he subtly kind of fucked it up for Balor. Um, so it was just to kind of see where they're going with that storyline because I didn't think that it would continue with Rollins. And after watching Raw last night, it looks like that they've moved on from that. So thank God. But a fun match. I, I think that some of these other matches deserve to get a longer time than this one because, like I said, they've done it numerous times. But for what it was, a lot of fun, not really a complaint for me, and it was in the middle of the card. I was into it for sure. The, the near falls at the end pulled me in. Uh, the ending was good, and the climax, like you said, the drama with the Judgment Day when they finally came down and, and Priest and everything. So I like the storyline aspects of it and stuff. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I think they just move on from here. It looks like Balor versus Priest uh, could have some potential, you know, if they do that correctly. And then Cody um, might be coming for Seth Rollins title in a, in a way as, as far as what they were kind of starting to set up probably real, down the line because it looks like they're light. going nakamura yeah. first but cody they're gonna do something with him and cody for sure yeah so yeah we'll see what happens but like you said it was it was still a very solid match with with two of wwe's prime in ring guys absolutely and next up we had the triple threat match for the wwe women's championship and in 20 minutes and 45 seconds bianca belair defeated oscar and charlotte flair by pinfall uh, this was way better than I thought it was going to be. Um, and it's just, dude, Bianca, like, you know, obviously the J, how much we like Asuka here on the show. I thought Bianca and Charlotte like ran circles around her in this match, which was really weird. Cause I don't, I don't think that very often about Asuka. Um, great match. And I also like too, how they had, uh, Bianca get the, the pin on Charlotte. Yeah, I really liked how they set up this match. It was really good. Three of the top women in the world. We mentioned that once again in the preview. And their chemistry was was very solid. They laid it out decently. They had a, a storyline kind of thing where uh, Bianca Belair hurt her leg and she was limping and selling that really well. The medics came down and it looked like she was out of the match. And of course, it was one of those things where she pushed, pushed the medics away uh, down the rampway and came back into the match. And man, I got to say, this is up for spot of the night, which is saying a lot on a solid wrestling show. Yeah. The freaking 450 from Bianca to break up the figure eight. I thought Ashley was dead. Dude. Char- Charlotte. <laughs> Ashley being a real name. Dude, Bianca is fucking. She's like, a beast. Dude, while everybody's shitting their pants over Rhea Ripley. Yeah. Bianca's the one. Like, she's way better than Rhea is. I'm and sorry. Dude, she's getting the payoffs, too, man. She was on the Slim Jim commercial. Yeah. She's on the, uh, you know, there's a couple other things that dude, are just Bianca. I don't know if you ever heard this. I think there was an interview or something. Somebody talked to her not too long ago, and I thought this was great, and I think this makes a lot of sense. And I don't know if you heard this or not this, to see, like, what you think about it. But in the interview, she said very much like, you know, I'd kind of like to be like John Cena and always be a baby face because she likes I did, doing I all. did catch that. And I'm like, you know what? I kind of agree with that. I think that, and she's a good heel, but I just think she works so much better as that kick-ass, athletic fucking baby face that it's like, it takes like a world-class athlete like Charlotte to even be able to get in there with her. And my biggest complaint, I guess, about this match would be this to Jay, and we talked about it last week. Oscar uh, lost this match. What was the fucking point of even putting the belt on her? That was just a, yeah, nothing but a waste of time. Do, they do that with the women. Yeah, they've done that with Charlotte. That's always said. That's that's why she can get up to having the belt fourteen freaking times. Yep, I completely agree with that. But I just think it's a really stupid way of going about it. 
And then, you know, Bianca becomes champion. And this is something that I like, but I don't like. This is the second time something like this happened to Bianca as far as having her title reign ended quickly. Uh, but it happened again because, of course, Io Sky would run down after the match and cash in the women's money in the bank. And she would go on to defeat Bianca Belair by pinfall in eight seconds to become the new WWE Women's Champion. Not complaining at all because I think EO is one of the best in the company. Um, I'd like to see her get a nice reign with it as opposed to like what they did with Asuka. Um, I think you can easily do Bianca and Charlotte and let them have their feud or however you want to handle it. And, uh, and dude, something else, just a little thing, because I've this is if you guys have been listening to the show for years, you've heard me make this comment numerous times about her. It's weird that it took this long, but... You know the one major noticeable thing about Charlotte to me was in this match? What was that? They finally got her in-ring gear that looks good on her body type. Like, oh, gotcha. And, and I'm not judging her body type. Don't get me wrong there. I think the, the outfit that she had on this week is perfect because she's tall. She has abs. Like, it's it look, made her look way better than what they normally have her wear, which kind of makes her look frumpy. Like it's just yeah. A, we said that about Becky. There was times where Becky had the goofiest in ring gear. It just did not fit her style. And they seemingly in, in have opinion. have kind of fixed that too with her. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. So that's that's a good thing. Maybe they got some new stylists or something in WWE. But that was definitely something that I noticed. And it's been a pet peeve of mine since she was in NXT. So I'm glad they got that right. Good on her. Uh, but yeah, man, EO Sky Women's Champion. That's that's actually kind of awesome. It is because she could have a heel run with ba- Bailey being the mouthpiece, and that was that was a cool little moment too. Dakota Kai, who's been out for injury, she did appear as well, so all of Damage Control was able to celebrate with Io's win. So that was cool. But yeah, I mean, I think she could have a pretty solid little heel run, doing tag team matches with Bailey, like on Raws and stuff, you know, to kind of drag it out and everything. And, and like I said, having Bailey be the predominant mouthpiece. And, and just go with that group and with EO having the, the women's title. So, yeah, I hope they do something really solid with her as opposed to kind of just slapping the belt on her. And it'd be nice, too, just to throw this out there. I don't really want to see the deal where she's champion for a while and it's basically just setting up the long turn of Bailey to get the shot. You know what I mean? Like, that's kind of boring to me. Like, that's exactly what I think they're going to do. And I don't want to see that. So... Not like it wouldn't be a good match. I just don't want them to go down that road because it's pretty predictable. Um, Exactly. Then the main event of the show, of course, uh, was tribal combat for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship and recognition of being the tribal chief of the family. And in 36 minutes and five seconds, Roman Reigns defeated Jey Uso by pinfall. This was frustrating for a lot of different reasons. Um First and foremost, the Jay at this point in the feud with everything that's going on and who these guys actually are in the storyline, I think 36 minutes is way too long. Um, I, that's the first thing I was going to mention to you. And it's I not, thought it was way too long. And, dude, it's not that it was bad, okay? It's just these two guys are super familiar with each other. Roman is a fucking monster. And no one knows Roman in storyline better than Jay Uso. He's going right at Roman. So them having a 36-minute match, even in the, the, the grand scheme of things of the storyline, really doesn't make sense. No, you save 10 off of this. Easy. It makes it a lot better. Dude, I would have looked to have like a kick-ass 15-minute main event. 
Yeah. I mean, go balls out. And there's I a think lot. we say it a lot with WWE. I think they were overthinking this because everything involved. Well, and there's a lot of them points. It's the one thing I don't like about Roman's matches, those points where he's just kicking the shit out of a guy and he's just kind of like walking around in the ring, like exactly. staring at the yeah, crowd. There's moments where you're just like waiting for something to happen. And of course, this all coincided with a masked man coming in and costing Jay the match. And the masked man was his brother, Jimmy Uso. And I fucking hated this. Um, it felt like a Vince Russo type swerve to me. It, yeah, a twist for the sake of a twist. Yep, it doesn't make sense because we watched Jimmy kick the shit out of Roman in weeks past, which is like a really dumb fucking way of going to, to get down the path that they got down. Um, a brother turning on a brother. It's it's and here's the thing. So Roman beats him. Okay, now we have to get this Uso feud, and I don't know like. Here's the problem that I have with this. And we've been, dude, we've been super big on the bloodline thing. Like, even when other people are like, oh, it's getting repetitive. We're like, no, this is actually still really good. They they lost it. It's done. It's done. I don't know where else they can go with the fucking storyline. If they could somehow rectify this, dude, I will be fucking gobsmacked that they were able to pull it off. Yeah, one thing that comes out of it, too, honestly, I have no clue what would be next for Roman. And, and supposedly he suffered uh, an injury. Uh, there's nothing concrete about the severity of the injury, but that can play a, a factor too, of course, with his upcoming booking. But, uh, you know, with Jay and Jimmy going into like a twin brother Uso feud, you know, Solo and, and Heyman are still with Roman. And then looking at the SmackDown roster and what's going on, it just – you know, I just have no clue where, where they're going to go with Roman. Yeah, they're backed into that corner, and that's that's going to be problematic for them. Um, and it might fuck up the reign. You know what I mean? It really, really might. Um, I feel like they're still waiting on The Rock to show up, and there is no guarantee. We've talked about that in detail on here going on for a while. I don't yeah, think it's going to happen. I just don't. There's been a lot of rumors coming out of SummerSlam. One that I heard was that, WWE is interested in possibly, uh, I think the next reign that Roman would catch up to is Hogan's. Yep. Which is, a, it's like another it's a, year and a half. It'd be next September. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know about all that, but you know, we'll just have to see. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting to see where they're going to go. And it was interesting watching raw this week too, because they obviously they didn't follow up on everything, but they followed up on a lot. Um, so, you know, there, it, it's kind of, we're moving into the fall. Um, it, it, you know how this goes, the J2, we could be hitting a lull here for a couple months because sometimes it goes down and then kind of comes back up a little bit again around Survivor Series and then basically dies off completely until a rumble. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, they have the opportunity to go into the fall kind of hot with a lot of things moving and shaking, but and here's the problem. If they don't capitalize on those things, then they're just going to be bland bullshit all the way through the fall and into next year. And that's going to kill their product and my wanting to even watch it. That was a, another thing with this show too, Hey Ed, that there was so much speculation going into it of the surprises we're discussing. And, and you know, kudos to you. You did call that you just shut down the rock showing up and, and he didn't. I mean, there was no, not even a sniff of, of the rock being around. But there was no big surprises at this show. I think that's why, yeah, you know, like really. you said, they kind of 
They well, kind of just shoehorn that, uh, uh, you know, turning of Jimmy in. The biggest surprise is probably EO cashing in. Yeah, and that's not nothing, you know, remotely comparable to something like The Rock. Yeah. Uh, so I think that was an issue with this too. But at the end of the day, this was a really good show. It really good show. a lot show. of Rocky points. And ended poorly. Uh, you know, some weird, yeah, ended poorly. Just a couple weird decisions here and there throughout it. But it was still uh, for, thoroughly enjoyable for, for, you know, the situation. I watched it with my wife and kid and everything. We enjoyed it. And as we do here on the program, we do letter grades for wrestling pay-per-views. So the J, what do you grade in SummerSlam 2023? You know, a solid B plus. For Same. Yeah, I would agree with that too. I mean, it the show wasn't really bad at all. It's just whenever you fuck up something in the main event, it's that's like the you get the most points for the main event. So, yeah. you know, a show could be really good because the main event's good even if the other stuff isn't. And it can also, you know, bump it down a letter grade whenever the main event's kind of not where it needs to be. So, uh, but we are up against our very first commercial break and the wrestling talk doesn't stop. We are going to be talking about the brand new Peacock documentary uh, titled American Nightmare Becoming Cody Rhodes. So stay tuned for that and much more. We'll be back right after this right here on the What's Your Real Podcast. Hey everybody, this is Herman James with the Watch Room Podcast. Finally giving me something to do here. It's been a while since I talked to you guys, but I'm actually helping them out doing an advertisement for advertisers. That's right. If you would like to advertise here on the Watch Real Podcast and join a team, just shoot us an email today. We got cheap, easy, and affordable rates, and we could hook you up with some kick-ass advertisements. Just hit us up at Gmail. It's at whatsrealpod at gmail.com. That's whatsrealpod at gmail.com. Join the team with me, my brother Timmons and James, the wizard behind the boards, Cam, the Jay, and Hey Ed. It's the What's Real team for some advertisers. Hit us up, whatsrealpod at gmail.com today. Wrestling has more than one royal family. And we're back, and it is time to talk about the brand new Netflix, or Netflix, Peacock documentary, all about Cody Rhodes, titled The American Nightmare, Becoming Cody Rhodes. Uh, this is just a short bit under two hours long. Uh, it's one of the first ones that they've done on Peacock in a while, it feels like. They would do these periodically on the WWE Network, and I know that there's been a few other ones, but it's been a little bit of a while uh, since they've done it. And this one was pretty good um, overall. Uh, they get into everything that you would possibly want them to get into. Uh, they even uh, talk about AEW by name. Uh, they show footage of the Young Bucks and things like that. Uh, but the one thing that the one thing that annoyed the fuck out of me in this thing is the whole his whole fucking purpose of his life is to win the WWE title. Something, by the way, that has not happened yet. Probably would have been smart to do that and put it in the documentary, but they didn't do that. <laughs> Um, and just attributing everything to Dusty, um, very weird because he's had ups and downs in the companies, which they address here, but they don't they, they, like notice how they skirted around things a little bit. Like they tell you, but they don't tell you exactly what problems are. They're kind of subtle or they beat around the bush with it. Uh, yeah, so there was, there was a bunch of reviews that I saw that were mentioned in how the documentary raised more questions than answers, you know, just to go in with that. Yeah. I mean, I could totally agree with that. I mean, most of the stuff that they answered was stuff that you already knew. Um, I did think it was well put together and everything. Of course, it makes Cody look like he's a massive deal, which is a good way of building people up with stuff like this. Um, but you know, as far as a documentary goes, 
I, to me, the most learned stuff to me was like him when he was a high school wrestler. I did enjoy all that stuff because I didn't know all that about Cody. I'd heard some stuff here and there, but seeing a lot of it was cool. Yeah, DDP was there and shit. Yeah, like I liked all that stuff. Uh, the stuff with Brandy was like, okay, you got to shoehorn her in here somehow. And just a lot of the, he bet on himself. He bet on... We didn't have much of a fucking choice. Like, what was he supposed to do? Go be an accountant after this? Like, he was going to wrestle elsewhere. And it just, if AEW wouldn't have been what it was, there's a strong possibility that Cody Rhodes would still be wrestling in New Japan or somewhere on the Indies or Ring of Honor or something like that. You know what I mean? The reason why they wanted him is because he was a major player for their biggest competitor. And they've done a great job with him since bringing him back. And Cody's done a great job, as we already mentioned in the last segment. But, you know, just some of the heavy-handed nonsense in this one I could have done without. But, you know, besides that, I, I actually thought it was pretty good. I mean, he does have a great story. Obviously. He does. I mean, he's the, you know, on, on a lot of people's Mount Rushmore of wrestling legends is his father. He's in his shadow. He started off very young, uh, you know, had kind of a rocky road run, had some good moments, but was kind of finding himself in the WWE. Then he gets to the point where he's so unhappy that he quits and ends up forming the, the rival company that is AEW. Then he has an issue there, which which he even he speaks about that in, in this documentary when he's asked about leaving AEW, that he just had a personal issue is, is all he puts. Again, more kind of questions and answers, like what kind of personal issue? But uh, for what it, for what it's worth, at least they did even talk about it and, and talk about AEW. You know, th there was a lot of press about Triple H saying, you know, Cody didn't want to have a world title and a second rate company. He wanted to have the WWE title that always eluded his father. And people were up in arms about that. And I'm like, dude, they are like, again, we've talked about it a million times. They're, they're a alternative to WWE. AEW is they have beat them in certain markets and stuff. It's cool. But the WWE has been around for 50 plus years. Like it's just going to be a different animal no matter what. So it's not that big of a deal. Triple Eight saying that. You know? Well, and, <laughs> I mean, people have to understand too. And this is most likely from younger wrestling fans. Um, the WWE's already been through this, and they not only beat their competition, they bought them. Not saying that's going to happen this time, but we didn't think it was going to happen last time either. So that's why they have that attitude. That period. Um, you're not going to come for Vince without getting that type of attitude in return. It just is what it is. And, you know, it's great. Guys like the Young Bucks and shit make a lot of money in AEW, but most of the guys in the WWE are making more. Not everybody, but most of them. So it just kind of is what it is. Um, but as far as this goes, like they showed the stuff about him having his first child and things like that. I thought it was really weird how they completely kind of glossed over the whole time period of legacy with uh, DiBiase's kid and Randy Orton, like the faction that they had in WWE. Uh, they did show the dashing stuff with, Co you know, like whenever he wore the mask and everything. Um, but a lot of it was glossed over, just kind of like move along, move along, move along, and then spend 10 minutes saying that I'm so frustrated, I'm so frustrated, I really tried to make it work type stuff, and then move along, move along. And it was like the same kind of thing, rinse, wash, and repeat. But, um, but, you know, overall, I mean, I, I thought that they, they did a pretty good job of telling the story of him, but just with the minor inconvenience of them constantly whitewashing things to make WWE factor more into the whole decision and everything in his whole career. 
Um, I did like the stuff they showed with him kind of getting frustrated with Dusty around the time where Dusty had all Dusty's kids out of NXT and stuff like that. That was an interesting perspective that I hadn't really heard previously. Um, But, you know, a lot of it was like that. It would be like something kind of cool that we didn't really know a lot about and then a ton of stuff that we already knew about or the retelling of history stuff, which I could have done without. Um, But, you know, it it wasn't bad in that respect. We come to expect things like that from WWE. This is a WWE-produced documentary. That's exactly the thing, because I I feel like a really interesting part of this story that they could have delved into, but they never would in a WWE-produced documentary, is the fact that after just getting so frustrated with all these terrible gimmicks and everything, he's just completely miserable, and he's going for one last opportunity and he goes to Vince and, and the company big wigs. And he says, you know, let me revert back to the Rhodes name in my fa- father's honor. Like I'm all these stupid things. My father just passed away recently and they refused and yeah. they don't get into that. Yeah. And I'd love to know why, you know yeah. what I mean? Like why were they so adamant on not, it's really weird, man. It's kind of, it reminds me in a lot of ways of the NBA. And by that, I mean like you'll see this happen a lot of times where an NBA team will get a player who does nothing, barely plays. Uh, And then that player leaves, goes somewhere else, and becomes a really big deal or a functioning member of a team. And they're like, oh, why didn't the other team use them? They didn't fit into the system. And I feel like that's how the WWE gets. Like, they want to use you. You're like the new shiny toy. And then the shine wears off. And it's like, I think we've seen that a couple times already with Kevin Owens, where they push him to the moon. And then they're like, man whatever. And then he just gets stuck in this weird purgatory. Uh, But that's what happened with Cody. And they just, for whatever reason, just didn't want to deal with it anymore. They wanted him gone. He left. Uh, They show how he did his indie tour. And uh, that, I did think that was kind of cool because they had, you know, they had angle on, they had a lot of the guys on that he was wrestling at the time and stuff like that. So that was kind of cool. But, you know, and, and of course it all leads back to him coming to the WWE Uh, and losing to Roman at at WrestleMania. And then it was kind of weird because the whole purpose of the documentary is him talking about how he wanted to win the WWE title. Then he fails to do it at WrestleMania. And then he's like, you know what? I'm more than just winning the title. And I'm like, well, that's a fucking weird way to end this. Like, you know, it'd be like if a dude's whole point of the documentary is him winning some big race and then he loses the race. And then he's like, you know, it's okay, though, because the point was not me winning the big race. It's like, that's actually what the whole point was. That you framed this. It's a documentary. You're telling me what the point of it is. And then to deviate away from that at the end, I thought was kind of dumb. Um, but that's pretty much my biggest complaint about it. Either the whitewashing or just it didn't have the kind of expected ending that that they were setting it up to have, which we already knew ahead of time. Um, but just some weird choices. But, you know, regardless, they always, whenever they do stuff like this, it's always a good package. Everything always looks and sounds really good. They went and got a bunch of talking heads and got a lot of good people on here too. So I'm not going to be too upset about it. It's literally the type of thing that I would expect from the WWE. Yeah. And that's unfortunate because I think, I guess we're lucky to have it in here at all. As far as like the brief appearances from the young bucks, the mentions of AEW and the portion, as we discussed where he's on the independent wrestling circuit, but to really have delved into that more would have been way cooler, but of course they're not. So again, I think we're just lucky to have that even mentioned in this with it being a WWE produced Peacock documentary. And we, we had talked about it in the, 
opener of, of this episode, hey, Ed, when we brought up the celebrities wrestling, but this was narrated by Stephen Amell. Yes. Too, which, which is ironic. Just and to, they go through all that, that in with their, their match at, uh, with Cody as, as yeah. Stardust. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was cool that they got the people to do it and everything. It worked out well. Uh, could have been better. Obviously, it could have been worse, but it is on Peacock if you guys want to check that out. Um, it is it is worth watching, I would say, but I, I'll be honest with you. I probably won't watch this one again. Yeah, I, I thought it was entertaining for the one watch. It doesn't compare to things like Dark Side of the Ring even, in my opinion, uh, because, again, it's just that culture of of Vince McMahon. Like Everybody calls professional wrestling sports entertainment in this and, and those little goofy things. Yep. And it's just, what do we say? Hey, yeah, say it with us, folks. Corporate professional wrestling in, in this uh, documentary uh, was another example of that, I feel. Absolutely. So that is our breakdown of the Cody Rhodes documentary on Peacock. And the politics of pro wrestling will continue right after this, because when we come back, we're going to head on down to the dark side of the ring. And we are going to be talking about the latest episode, all about the Bash at the Beach 2000. So stay tuned. We'll be back with that and much more right after this, right here. On the What's Real Podcast. Join us next week for episode 176 of the What's Real Podcast. We might be a little behind, but we're still doing what we do as the NFL fully officially starts here on the What's Real Podcast all the way to the Super Bowl. It's the first episode of HBO's Hard Knocks. And on Dark Side of the Ring, it is the season finale this time, all about Party Marty himself, Marty Jannetty. And on Thursday Night Prime, we go back to 1986, this time with Gary Busey in Eye of the Tiger. Hi, this is Timothy James with the What's Real Podcast, representing GRG as we call it, Goose or Goose. The guys get crazy with all kinds of crazy internet stories like Boston police officers tumbling like crazy, sloth serial killers, great emu wars. It's all kinds of crazy stuff. It's goose or goose. All that and much more next week on episode 176 of the What's Real podcast. Vice's smash hit wrestling series, Dark Side of the Ring. You don't just play a character you inhabit the character is back and we're back and it is time to take a look at the latest episode of dark side of the ring this time all about the bash at the beach 2000 pay-per-view specifically one match on the show and for those who do not know uh, i highly recommend looking this up on youtube or something else just to get the video uh, or watching the actual episode um what happened was hulk hogan was facing jeff jarrett for the wcw championship and during the match, Jeff Jarrett would lay down in the middle of the ring, uh, unprovoked and unplanned, uh, allowing Hulk Hogan to pin him, which he did. Hogan won the belt and proceeded. The, there's just a myriad of shoots that would happen after that, specifically from Vince Russo, who was the head booker of WCW at the time, right along with Eric Bischoff. Um, this is supposed to give you the background of what happens, but unfortunately... This episode just becomes more of a muddled mess because you don't get Hulk Hogan's perspective. You only get his perspective from other interviews and things that they've spliced into this. You get Vince Russo, who literally you can only take with a grain of salt. Uh, you get Eric Bischoff, who either just doesn't remember stuff or lies about it consistently. And then there's Jeff Jarrett, who, you know, uh, is one of the biggest carny people in the business. 
I like Jeff Jarrett, but I don't trust him. Um, he kind of framed all this as like, you know, it, like the, the thing that pissed me off was about Jarrett in this one, the Jay, is he acts like he's absolved from everything. When the reality of it is, is he was definitely more on the side of Vince Russo than anybody. Because if you remember, he was there until the very end of the yeah, company. Right. Uh, b- because Russo would push him. That's somebody that, that Jarrett was happy working around. And he would do it again because Russo would go to TNA with Jarrett, it, you know, whenever they started the company. Um, so it just comes across as a bunch of disingenuous jerks. Um, you don't really get the true story, but I have a funny feeling me and you can kind of hash out what actually happened. I was going to say, I kind of have you know it's my opinion I'm not, i wasn't there i'm very far outside looking in so, but i kind of put it together so it's not the easiest episode to review per se because they just kind of go back and forth about what happened and a lot of it is just conjecture and bullshit and they all contradict each other um so l- l- let's give a stab at this to jay uh, let's start here hogan Hogan's forever a politic guy in wrestling. He had creative control. That's in his the biggest thing right there. That's, um, that's one yeah. of my first so, points is his creative control really caused this. So he had the right to do whatever he wanted, which was WCW's fault because that's never been given to anybody up to that point. Um, and after WCW died, it was pretty much never given to anybody ever again. Um, Hogan is all, and this isn't just in this particular instance, and you tell me if you agree or disagree with this, the Jay, because I already know what your answer is here. Hogan, since the beginning of time, has been has been about one person. Hogan. Oh, for sure. Perfect. So he just wanted to pull his shit again and keep the belt and keep making money. Um, Russo was actually right here. Um, taking the belt off Hogan is the right move to do in the year 2000. We were watching at the time. Um, nobody wanted to see Hogan with that belt anymore. People were well over Hogan. Um, Hogan was no longer a ratings draw at this point, something Dave Meltzer covers uh, in this episode because they thank God they got him because it's somebody that actually has a little bit of clear-headedness in all of this. Um, but he was right wanting to take the belt off Hogan. But the only problem is... You can't just do that. Um, His whole reworking of everything since then is just a bunch of fucking garbled nonsense. I don't believe anything that he says. Um, It's he's a goof. He's very self-serving. He's made up parts of the story that like they even say in this episode, like, well, I've never heard that part before. Um, So he just keeps building. It's almost like, you know, uh, like a folktale. Where it's like, you know, oh, a guy cut an a-, a tree down with an axe. And here we are, you know, however many years later. And it's like the guy was nine feet tall. And he had the axe the size of a tree. And he rode a bull that was the size of fucking a state and yeah, everything else. You know what I mean? Example. Yes. It just, it just you know, builds on each other. Um, Bischoff. Okay. Bischoff in this situation wouldn't be as bad. But he's so still to this day. Which is bonkers to me because they don't do anything together anymore. But he's still so far up Hogan's ass with everything; it's fucking crazy. And, and on the other end, I've he, never seen. He still a, hates Vince Russo. He never just let that it, die. Yes, and which is understandable because for the last I don't know twenty three years, Vince Russo has been consistently talking about it anywhere he gets the opportunity. Um, 
Now, Bischoff has talked about a lot of this stuff, too, and he just either doesn't remember or just refutes stuff but still doesn't remember what happened and everything like that. Jarrett is kind of like Hogan. He's about himself. Um, it's, I don't know. It, again, he's just disingenuous. He was out to do what was best for him in his pockets. Um this is a guy that literally held Vince McMahon up for $100,000 before because he was out of a contract and they wanted him to lose a belt that he had, so he held him up. Um, you know, Jeff is not somebody that could be really trusted here either. So this is kind of, I guess, a breakdown here of what we think most likely happened. They wanted to put the belt on Booker T. I believe that part of the story. They, they kind of said that here. That's true. Uh, and Meltzer in this episode comes across a lot like we did where a lot of this shit was terrible but at the end of the night booker t ended up with the belt we were all kind of like well that's kind of fucking cool because we all like booker t you know you know what was an early highlight too was the first time Meltzer appeared on this episode and a producer from dark side of the ring asked him if vince russo has done more harm or good for pro wrestling and he has this priceless look on his face and he's being dead serious and he just says harm yeah long-term harm <laughs> definitely yeah, definitely it's it dude we we've heard this story a million times where they've said that when russo worked in the wwf him and vince mcmahon used to have this constant barrage like or conversation with each other in creative meetings where they'd say the perfect wrestling show is the one with none of it on it and that kind of gets to what russo was saying at the beginning of this about crash, crash tv, TV. Yeah. They they didn't want to give you a chance to change channels, so it was like short match, interview, short match, backstage brawl, got, you know, segment, yeah. another interview, another backstage segment, short match, short match, like everything was short matches. Even main events and shit during that era were yeah, short, especially on TV, obviously. And and dude, you'll you'll admit to this too, because I, I know we've talked about it many a times through the years. During the Attitude Era, they had unquestionably most likely anyway, the greatest main event roster that we've ever seen assembled. Right. But everything below that was fucking horrendous. It was barely intelligible. It was just nonstop bullshit. If you go back and watch that shit now, it is so fucking cringy. I hate that whole era. I appreciate the superstars on the top of the card, and there are some good matches sprinkled in. But, like, dude, go back and watch 1999 WWF. It is fucking atrocious. And I mean everything, for the most part, is atrocious. Yeah, it says a lot. And then WCW wasn't that much was too just, far behind after the, the NWO storyline burnout and then got oversaturated to high hell. Yeah, it was a mess. It's dude, I've said this through the years, but like they talk about it on here in storyline. Vince Russo had what they called the new blood, which was like the young guys, and Bischoff was in charge of the millionaires club, which were the established kind of that stars is. that have been around for years. That was the last ditch effort of yeah, WCW. it sparked like one like brief the rating, rating spike, and then it just went yes. to shit. And and it went like so far down. The, the only thing that I can think of that's comparable to it is like the dying days of the AWA, which were just fun. Like, what the fuck are you guys even doing here? This, none of this even makes any sense. Um, but it's weird because 
Like, you know, like in this episode, Jeff Jarrett's like, this is the single biggest black guy in the history of WCW. Really? Because before this, uh, Arquette was already the champion. You'd already done the finger poke of doom. So it's funny in that regard where Hogan thinks this is all bullshit, but he had no problem with the finger poke of doom. Yeah. Like, because he was winning the belt then. You know what I mean? It's, it's just fucking weird. It's just a big catastrophe, a situ- catastrophe of a situation. And, dude, the end result, and this is just my opinion here. I don't know if you feel the same way or not because we've kind of not talked about this. This is one of the most pointless episodes of Dark Side of the Ring I've ever seen because it's not, it's just like an incident that happened. It's not like this caused a company to go out of business. It was not the reason why that happened. Uh, nobody involved passed away or like, oh, Jeff Jarrett spiraled out of control after this happened, like in his personal yeah, it's, life. It's just there was all these dudes involved still bickering and just holding to their side. Like Nobody admits to anything. And uh, then you don't have Hogan, like you said, which is a big omission for this. Yep. And even if you did, he's not going to come clean. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, we, and, no, Hogan would have been the... The biggest bullshitter out of the bunch. I'll take the stage real quick, hey Ed, and I'm going to try to break this down, my opinion of, of a breakdown in layman's terms and, and not be too long-winded, and then you could let me know what you think. So basically okay. the way I look at this is Eric Bischoff gets fired, Vince Russo gets brought in as the main creative. And, and that was another funny part because I forgot about a lot of it or probably never even saw it, but they did like that montage of all the shit that he was booking like when he made himself champion. Oh, when he's in like the football, he, he was coming down in that shit. weird Zamboni looking thing with plexiglass and yep. shit. Like, oh, the Pope mobile. <laughs> it's like yeah, that's what that's supposed to be. Yeah, the Pope mobile. Horrible stuff. So he comes in as head creative. Bischoff's gone. They bring Bischoff back in. They make the terrible decision. In hindsight, is what it is. Nonetheless, the terrible decision to put Russo and, and Bischoff 50 50 in charge of booking and creative in WCW. You're coming up with Bash at the Beach. You had that little spark that we talked about with the young guys against the veterans, you know, kind of gimmick and stuff. And you're getting destroyed by WWE at this point in the ratings and everything. So this is a really big show. And you have Hogan who has creative control. So, of course, Hogan and Bischoff align. And then there's, you know, yep. everybody that's that's with Vince, like you said, Jarrett. And at this point, they're kind of looking in the back at who who's going to be the best champion right now. And they're kind of going around the table. And everyone's saying Booker T, you know, it's Booker T's time, 100%. And, of course, that's not with what Bischoff and Hogan want to do. Bischoff and Hogan want to do something different. But Russo is... Comp- no, no. Okay. No, that is something different. They want to do the same old thing. Put the belt back on Hogan and fucking well, the same let's get thing, back but to yeah, 1997, which no yeah, one cares different about. different from their idea, yeah. But basically the, yes. the same shit they always do. And Jarrett's kind of in the middle of all this at this point. So they decide to do what 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 goes down, and they do the lay down, and Hogan's pissed, but he just does it. And in the Dark Side of the Ring episode, they talk about this and show this, and, and like you said, this is the interspliced footage of Hogan. And he says, yeah, brother, me and Bischoff, we just jumped in a limo, and we're partying, and we get on a plane, and we're, you know, it went our way. I'm, I'm still the champion. It's what I wanted. And then when we land, and I found out that Vince Russo went into business for himself, after the show was supposed to be over, he came back out, announced a new main event in world title match between Booker T and Jeff Jarrett, and Booker T wins the, the world championship. 
and Hogan yep. had no idea. So it's like, you know, and, and, and Bischoff does have a good point as far as the legality of the whole situation goes, where he just is adamant that uh, Russo had no right and, and no, you know, legitimate cause to do what he did. He completely went into business himself as, as much as people want to bitch about Hogan's creative control and Eric's involvement that the 50, 50 with Russo, that was how it was set up. You know, it's like I'm half Booker with Russo. Hogan does have creative control. Vince Russo went in the business for himself. He didn't have the right to do that. No, but there are other ways of handling it. Like if I was Vince Russo and Hogan just wasn't doing business, I'd be like, okay, we'll go home. You're not booked. Well, I have creative control. Yep, you have creative control over the nothing that we're going to do with you. Go sit home and collect your fucking money. I'm not, you're not working anymore here. I don't care. I'm not booking you. Yeah. But they couldn't do it. I mean, yeah, you're spot on with everything that you said there. It's, it, it's just so funny how goofy and strange the company was. They were doing shoot angles. Like the one thing that I hadn't seen in a long time that they showed on here was after that match. And they go to the announcers, and it's Madden and, and Shivani, and I think it's Mike Tanay. And they're like, oh, boy, this is weird. That wasn't even on the, on the script or on the itinerary. And I'm like, they're basically telling you in a roundabout way when you're watching the show, everything else you've seen is fake-ass written bullshit, but that wasn't, which is the stupidest thing you can do. You're basically treating your fans like fucking dopey morons at that point. Um, and that's one of the biggest problems of what they did. They were booking for the smart fans online and that made up for maybe 2% of their entire audience, which wasn't even that big at the time. Yeah, exactly. So it's just a clusterfuck of a situation. It's not even that interesting of a story. This is literally an episode of dark side of the ring that I think only generally would appeal to casual fans. And I don't know how many casual fans are just watching Dark Side of the Ring. Um, it felt like a waste of time. Um, I understand why they wanted to do the episode. I just didn't think there was much of anything interesting in this really at all. Yeah, it was. It was pretty shallow. I mean, I, I, I thought it was okay because, you know, knowing as much as I did about it, I did want to see all these years later what these guys had to say. And like I said, I was disappointed because they all just stick to their guns. They're all just still doing kind of like the carny take on it for the most part and you know not really revealing too much more you know not accepting anything i mean russo goes completely off on hogan in this and calls him like a big bald son of a bitch like you could kiss my ass and all that and like although the the one thing that did crack me up in this one is they they're talking about that and uh and then it goes to lance storm he was great and he's like he was like yeah he's like i mean i guess hogan was sensitive about the fact that he was bald even though he didn't have as, as he's bald too, Lance. And, <laughs> yes. and he, he said, yeah. because of Russo's crazy booking style through all this, the rest of the boys, the rest of the locker room that weren't involved in the main event still weren't even sure if, if it was all part of the plan or not. And he goes on to say, if this was the plan, it's stupid. But if it's not, it's even stupider. <laughs> like, and that's what yep. it was. It was like WCW had that knack of always trying to work the locker room. Yeah. And it's like, and it's like, why? What does that accomplish? It doesn't do you any more business. It pisses off the yeah, guys that work there because they're like, you're not, 
they're like, you're not telling us what the fuck is going on here. Like, it's just, they're, you're lying to the boys like they're marks, like they're fans. It's fucking stupid. You'd never do that kind of thing. Um, it, I mean, if anything, I guess this is kind of like a good representation of just how much of a shit show the company was at the time. I mean, it's pretty surreal to this day to hear Hulk Hogan get on a microphone and go, yeah, the, com- the company is in the shape it's in because of bullshit like this live on TV. Because it's just like, yeah, what, fuck all of it well, at then this point. It's all Hogan would mess. go on to take legal action against Russo and WCW for defamation and breach of contract. And then, like Lance says, to follow up his previous comments that we were talking about, you don't file lawsuits if this is part of a storyline. <laughs> so then no. you realize like yeah, when all these Hogan. idiots were in fighting and went into business for themselves. And now like everything's a mess. And look what happened. WCW completely folds and Vince McMahon buys them for a ridiculously reasonable amount of money. Yeah. And then that's the end of, you know, WCW at that point. Uh, not just because of this. But very much because of a lot of the stuff that we we've just been talking about. Well, so it's unfortunate. One more real funny thing, hey Ed, you know, just because I was just talking about the uh, the lawsuit that Hogan went after Russo and WCW, <laughs> and then they say the appeals court favored it uh, for Russo because they ruled that fictional characters can't be defamed. <laughs> it's like what yeah. is going on? <laughs> and that's and isn't it funny? That you might think that would be the very end of Hulk Hogan talking about his fictional character in a lawsuit. Yeah, and, but and his fictional character's nope, penis. Would, yeah, it would get way more disturbing in the future, <laughs> oddly enough, because it never fucking ends with this guy. Um, it just, dude, it's like, Jarrett is probably the most likable out of all of them, I guess. Because he had the least amount of involvement. Um, I get, well, according to him. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's just... Whatever. It's all politics and bullshit. And this gives you a very good read. Like, if you don't understand that stuff, this is a good episode to watch because it kind of shows you how everybody involved is full of shit and they all have to collaboratively work on something together and why that just doesn't work. And and just talking to you about it, hey, Ed, I I was entertained because there there was a lot of stuff that had me laughing because these dudes are just goofballs. Yeah, it never ends yeah. with them. That's what I'm saying. They're just all still fucking goofs all these years later. Like, nobody's gotten older and wiser in the and, bunch. And at least at the so. end of the day, as far as Dark Side of the Ring goes, it wasn't, like, any tragedy or anything. Like, we, you know, we got a little breather for the week as far as that stuff goes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I suppose. But it also just feels so empty and hollow of an episode yeah. because of that type of stuff, too. It just... They could have skipped this one, but whatever. They made it, and it is what it is. So, uh, But we are up against another commercial break. Oh, whenever we come back. God damn it. Uh, yeah, guys. It's, thir- it's Thursday Night Prime. Yep, I'll be right down. Uh, Thursday Night Prime. Uh, we're going to go back to 1992 with Death Ring. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this if we're still alive right here on the What's Real Podcast. Hey, Yins, guys. That's right, it's your boy, The J, once again, as the great Chris Jericho used to say, representing the Dub R question mark, the What's Real podcast, and I am here today for local Pittsburgh area independent production company, Churchill Pictures, and The J can admit, for those consistently listening, week to week, we have ads for Churchill Pictures, you may be rolling your eyes, but this time, 
this week I have a gift for you where you can watch some of our feature films for free for the first time. For those that don't know, Churchill Pictures is based out of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, established from the bond of two childhood friends. Churchill Pictures envisions creating visual content that is completely original, thought-provoking, and most importantly, entertaining. Check all the information out at churchillpictures.com today. And as I said at the top of the ad, your chance to see their two feature films for free. Just subscribe to YouTube's Churchill Pictures channel. Go to YouTube, subscribe to the Churchill Pictures channel, and you'll be able to watch the full feature film, the 2012 Silver Ace Award winner from the Las Vegas Film Festival, Deference. Deference, the full movie, is for free on our YouTube channel. Then our second feature film, The Unsung, is now available for free on Tubi. Tubi is a free streaming site, just has a little bit of ads, but you can get used to them. Check us out on Tubi. All you have to do is register for Tubi, or if you're already registered, go on ahead and sign in on Tubi and just search The Unsung. The Unsung is now streaming for free on Tubi. Check us out today at churchillpictures.com or YouTube deference to be the unsung Churchill pictures. We create worlds. It's time for Thursday night. And we're back, and it is the return this week of Thursday Night Prime. Somehow we're unscathed. I don't know how the hell that. Oh, happened. I was gonna say, dude, it it feels good to to be prepared. Nuck was ready. You know, we've been under construction, man, with the bunker. Like everything's top of the line, so we took out a lot of money. Yeah, me, me and the Jay are eating tuna out of cans to be able to afford to do this, and it's it sucks, but I mean, it's better than dying, I guess. So. Yeah, hey man, we're still getting our protein. I'm still very vascular. So. Absolutely. So this week, we'll take it. We're going back to 1991 with uh, Death Ring, uh, directed by R.J. Kaiser, who I'm going to get into in a moment. Ex Green Beret Matt Collins is kidnapped along with his fiance Lauren Sadler by crazed hunter extraordinaire Danton Vox. Every year he holds. Yeah, best name. Yeah, ever. of course, and of course that's played by you know who Billy Drago because that's no one else could play it character named Dan Vox better than him <laughs> uh, every year he holds a contest where people can purchase the right to hunt down and kill a human being this time Collins is to be the hunted Vox uses Lauren as motivation for Collins to really fight to survive and thus provide the buyers with a truly exceptional hunt Collins is turned loose on an uncharted island and four killers set out to find and kill him uh, the movie stars none other then Mike Norris as Matt Collins, that is the son of Chuck. Billy Drago's in this one. Steve McQueen's son Chad shows up. Uh, Don Swayze, the brother of Patrick, is in this uh, because this is how you cast a movie. You just get stars, family members, apparently. Just so you can have the poster say Norris McQueen Swayze. Yeah, and dude, it's hilarious because I can tell you one thing for sure, and I've said this here on the show. Chuck Norris probably has the least amount of charisma of any action hero of all time. And he definitely passed that down to his son because his son literally has <laughs> yeah. the fucking uh, the personality of a three pound pile of crab meat, essentially. Um, but, dude, this is something fairly amazing here. It's directed by R.J. Kaiser, who has three credits to his name. Of course, he directed Death Ring. He made one of my favorite movies ever. Hell Comes to Frogtown. And he also made Godzilla 1985, which is pretty solid considering. 
Um, that's yeah, that's a weird three movies. Well, only and it gets it gets weirder because he's he's done sound on a bunch of films too. He's a sound man, and boy does he jump the fucking shark with this one. He did sound for such movies as Catch Me If You Can, uh, two of the X Men films, War of the Worlds, um, Showgirls, Master and Commander, The Predator, Kindergarten Cop, Arachnophobia. A Walk in the Clouds, and Firebirds. And that's not it. It gets even weirder. He's edited such films as Hell Comes to Frogtown, Galaxy of Terror, Battle Beyond the Stars, and Space Raiders, all Roger Corman joints. So, and he's an actor, by the way, and this is hilarious, in the 1995 Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie. Everybody remembers what a absolute classic that was um but it's weird being all all that stuff that i just mentioned somehow does not apply to this film um man dude i'm not gonna lie whenever i was reading about this i was like oh man this is gonna be a blast um this movie is fucking horrendous it's not fun um dude you know you're like okay Chad McQueen does pretty good in this, but he's barely in the movie. Um, Don Swayze carries it, and he's stiff as a fucking board. Mike Norris was the worst possible choice to be the star in this thing. And Billy Drago gives one of his absolutely goofy, unhinged performances, which is fine for Billy Drago, but it really, really overshadows everyone else in the movie because everybody else is pretty bland. And the fight scenes are horrible. Um, The funniest shit ever to me is like towards the end when they get to the compound and they get the AK-47s. And it's like somebody said to Mike Norris, all right, this is the part where you're going to be shooting at all the guys on the compound. Uh, What I want you to do is point the fucking AK-47 sideways and shoot it like that for some reason. With one arm. And basically look like you're scared of what's happening the whole time. Um, it, dude, there's just so much bad. This movie has a running time of 90 minutes, which is the sweet spot for action movies. But for some reason, this movie to me felt like it was about four and a half hours long because nothing is really happening. It's just back to the same shit. And it's the kind of thing too, like this is basically a ripoff of the most dangerous game. Which all this stuff is like surviving the games, the same it's thing. Like a, we said that it's, it's, it's like a subgenre in the 90s. And my God, dude, it's like you fucked up a revenge movie or a slasher movie. How goddamn hard is it to do this? And this movie basically missteps on everything. There's it, it's nonsensical. Um, no one's likable. Um, you don't give a fuck what happens because you don't really know what's going on. Like, McQueen, they show him like trying to find out shit and what's going on. And then there's a whole large part of the movie where he's just not in it at all. And then he randomly shows up towards the end in a helicopter in a scene that makes very little sense. It's just, dude, I don't, I, I don't know what the fuck they were going for here. This kind of, sh- and it's not like this, but this strikes me as a movie where like somebody was making it and then the director quit or got fired and they had to like, bring somebody in to salvage it, but it wasn't. It was the same guy the whole time. I just don't know 
what the scenario was. Did he have abuse problems, like substance abuse issues? Did he just not care? Like, I don't know what it is, but this movie's inept in almost every fucking possible way. And I never would have expected that going into it. And this is Thursday Night Prime, and I'm saying that. Yeah, it says a lot. And it's one of those things, too, at the beginning when they're kind of going for whatever semblance of character character development they can. And there's the situation with Matt and his, his girlfriend, soon-to-be fiancé, Lauren, because he proposes horrifically a couple of times in this film. Uh, they end up going to the batting cages. That shit's hilarious. And it's hilarious because earlier on, they like foreshadowed McQueen's like, hey, we're going to get to the cages soon or something like that. And then he like bangs his girl and just leaves her and just leaves a note that says, sorry. And she just comes straight to the batting cages. Like It's so, it's so bad. And of course, McQueen's name's Skylord, not Star-Lord, like from Guardians of the Galaxy, but Skylord because he's a ridiculously amazing helicopter pilot dude it's i i found a of course i do the letterbox thing every once in a while on here and i have to bring this up because this is fucking hilarious so this dude he's like apparently i gave this four stars in 2015 which is kind of funny to me it's still fine but the other utter shittiness of Mike Norris really shone through this time around. Amazing that the only person with less charisma than Chuck Norris is his fucking dingus son. That's hilarious. I mean, it's true though. Like the dude, like oh, he was. Uh, I was watching a bit of this with my wife. She caught it. She's she's like, I can't stand this. Guy. Yeah, dude. Yes, and it's like every every bit of charisma that that Don Swayze and Chad McQueen has. This dude somehow sucks out of them. It's bizarre. I've never seen somebody like, you know, like we talk about like as an actor, you don't want to be in a scene with another actor and like get overshadowed, right? This one though, it's like, dude, you don't want to be in a scene with Mike Norris because he's just going to take everything good out of it somehow. It's fucking. Yeah, it sucks the, sucks the life out yeah, of Yeah, it. it's just there's like his delivery's terrible. Like. Dude, the one part at the end where he's talking to Swayze and like they're they're gonna split up after they got the machine guns, and he's like, "All right, you stay here. I'm gonna go do this." He's like, "If I'm not out in 15 minutes, level the place." And I'm like, "He has a fucking AK. There's numerous <laughs> guards, and all. He's gonna level it with his fucking four bullets that he probably has left at this point because he was the dude actually shooting people when you were shooting the AK-47 sideways and hitting nothing." And you're the star and the hero. Yeah, and Swayze's character, John Blackwell's backstory is hilarious, too, because Matt Collins just runs into him in a cave. Yep. And he's like, yeah, I was the one hunted four guys ago. I've been here for, what did he say, like a few months or was it a couple of years it's so- or something? In the- Dude. Because he's a survivalist, but he's not like a, a soldier. And he's like, yeah. I led, I led my scent, uh, you know, I gave them a tip that I went into quicksand. So they thought I died in the quicksand. Yeah, and ever since like, that oh day he did that, he's been covering his scent up 24 hours a day. Yeah, he's been there for And months. dude, this is one of my favorite pieces of dialogue in this movie. So when they bring Norris to the island and they're kind of telling him what's going on, he's literally like, he's like, don't think you're going to escape. He's like, we're 150 miles away from anything. And then it cuts to them outside. And they're like, the lady's like, all right, well, what are we going to do? He's like, eh, it doesn't really matter. 
It's not like the island's that big. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. it was back to back that you just said that. You're like, basically, this place is huge. No one's ever going to find you. Well, how are we going to do this? doesn't matter. This place isn't even that big. Man, just contradict your own dialogue. And I'm sorry, but in a movie like this, you can't do that because you only have so much to go on. Like, help me suspend my own belief in this bullshit. It's, and you know, you got to love that too. Nobody knows how to find the place. It's secluded and hidden. But yet Chad McQueen somehow manages to find the fucking place. And dude, the funniest scene to me in the entire movie is when Chad McQueen goes into the tattoo parlor. Yeah. Because he's like, oh, he's like, how can I help you? He's like, yeah, I was thinking about getting a tattoo today. He's like, all right, uh, there's all the stuff on the walls. He throws a book down. He's like, that's all the stuff that I've done. He's like, and if you want something special, I can do that too. And he's like, I do want something special. He's like, oh, yeah, what were you thinking? (laughs) He's like, I want the two... uh, triangles on top of each other i heard you've done that before he opens the book up to a page with that tattoo and he's like who did you do this one on and the dude's like i don't know my memory's pretty bad and then it cuts to looking at the tattoo shop from the outside and it's like Then they go back inside, and the tattoo artist is just like sitting in his chair with blood all over him. Bloody. And he's like, ugh. <laughs> he's like, now do you want to tell me who this was? And he just turns the fucking Polaroid over. Because every time you, you're a tattoo artist and you do a tattoo, you take a picture of it, and then on the back of it, you write the person's name and all their information on it. Because that's what happens. <laughs> it's the yeah. goofiest shit imaginable. And this, dude, that's the thing. Like, I can understand what these movies, like, we don't expect them to be perfect. We know, we created the segment. We know what we're getting into here. This one, they don't, it doesn't do anything well. It's not particularly funny. The action scenes aren't great. Um, Billy Drago. There are some titties. Yeah, there's some titties, I guess. And Billy Drago is kind of fun because he's just like this weird, like, Dude, watching Billy Drago in this movie do weird shit with his hands is just, it's like nauseating. You know what's funny too? You mentioned how there's four henchmen that are hunting Matt Collins, but originally there was five. And the fifth was Mr. Cross, played by Branscombe Richmond from, uh, he's like Renegade. Lorenzo Lamas's boy and Renegade. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And like, he, he like did it before and was like, an, an unsatisfied customer. He's like, for the amount of money I pay for this to, to Drago and everything, just ripping on Drago. So of course Drago just takes him out, but he, he doesn't shoot him or stab him. He just beats him to death. Yes, naturally. <laughs> like, and dude, this movie also has one of the most cringy fucking things I've ever seen for no reason where they show like the Indian guy, like the Native American. And it's, yeah, Patrick. and it's literally like, He's like on a hilltop and it's like, you're like, what is he doing? And he's literally just doing weird shit. And be like, hey, hey, hey. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so somebody wanted a Native American character and couldn't do five minutes of research to, because of course in 92, they didn't give a fuck about stereotypes. They'll just, you're going to do whatever the fuck the director feels like a Native American would be doing. It doesn't matter how much sense or how little sense it makes. Um, Yeah. But like, yeah, man, there's this one's a drag. It's not funny. The storyline's not that creative. 
there's not enough of Billy Drago on the screen to really make a difference. Um, the end is fucking horrible because they do this thing where it, everybody's fine and it's over with. And then the fucking uh, Miss Ling shows up to try and kill him one more time. And it's terrible. They're like, oh, my God, shooter. It's like, I can't get a clean shot. And then they all just wait until somebody gets a clean shot. Like, no, it's just, it's really a million and one stupid fucking decision after stupid fucking decision. And frankly, this one is generally just a kind of a horrid waste of time, in my opinion. Not, not that this makes me a genius by any stretch, but it's pretty obvious, especially with our experience watching films like this and being veterans of Thursday Night Prime. But with Chad McQueen's character, Skylord, being the helicopter expert, even at the beginning, I'm like, yep, I know what this ending is going to be with the helicopter. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, dude, and uh, the, the, my favorite, too, is like when they're on the helicopter at the end and they ask Don Swayze, like, you all right, man? He's like, yeah, I just can't believe that we made it. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, he's like, um, yeah, it was a harrowing experience or whatever. And Skylar's like, well, what happened, man? Start from the beginning. He's like, well, it's a long story. And he's like, well, this is a long flight. <laughs> it's like, and, oh, God, yeah, and, please cut to the credits before freaking Swayze tells the goddamn. Nope. They have him do a monologue. To we get one more Mike Norris of being like with the woman that he tried to save at the end. He's like, are you OK? And she's like, worst proposal. Ever. Yeah, I'm fine. Did you mean what you said before this all happened? She's like, like, yeah, did you? And he's like, no. <laughs> And I'm like, what? And of course, the the highlight of the entire film, there was one highlight, and that was Drago's death. <laughs> Hell, dude. He gets his head cut off by a sword. And it was terrible. It's like so good. Because he get, he gets, <laughs> it, it's like one of those things where he gets his head cut off with a samurai sword. And the dude's like, Whoosh. and then he just starts looking weird. He has a little bit of blood on his neck. And then you just see his head fall off. Like, not off his body. <laughs> yeah. You just see his head drop. And then they show it one it more time. The screen. And then there's a bunch of blood. So it's like, yeah. okay, that was fucking atrocious. So, yeah, unfortunately, this is an apt piece of garbage here for the most part. Um, and as we do here on the show, the J, is there even a tagline for this fucking thing? Because I didn't find one. Yeah, there is. I'll throw it at you. But I thought this was funny on IMDb. Somebody said, some of the biggest names in action are related to the stars of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a good one. But um, the tagline for Death Ring, no rules, no mercy, no second chance. Yeah. And it's, and dude, keep in mind that the title of this movie has to do with a ring that you get for winning. Like there's no, it's, yeah. there's no, they're not fighting in a death ring. That's what he says. She's like, what did you run back in there for? He's like, my prize. It's the death ring. Like oh, Got the death ring, bitch. And as we he proposed with the death ring, yeah, naturally that's the only thing you can do with it. But and it's funny because the movie's called Death Ring, but like nobody's really after the ring. <laughs> like it's it's yeah. such a secondary thought. You could easily miss that as a viewer and not even ever catch why it's called death exactly. Ring. So I'm like, well, that was ultimately pointless. But uh, but yeah, as we do here on the show, the J, we do a five star rating scale. What are you gonna give Death Ring? 
I'll be nice today. Hey, yeah, because we're delirious and give it to. Yeah, two is about all I can muster. And that's just generally from the goofy performance of Drago in this. But uh, <laughs> but that's the best we could do. Uh, this one should probably be skipped. It's on Tubi if you guys want to torture yourself with it. But remember, we watch some of this shit so you guys don't have to. So we are up against our final commercial break. And whenever we come back, we're going to wrap up the show and talk some goofs. So stay tuned. We'll be back right after this right here. On the What's Real Podcast. What's the most action-packed segment weekly podcasting? Thursday Night Prime. What segment weekly podcasting do the hosts literally put their lives on the line? Thursday Night Prime. Join us each week in the month of March for the most action-packed weekly segment in podcasting where Hey Evan the J look back at all kinds of weirdo B-action movies. It is Thursday Night Prime. It's live professional wrestling with the International Wrestling Cartel. The IWC returns to Elizabeth, Pennsylvania with three hard-hitting steel cage matches. The IWC Cage Fury has been one of the most popular events in all of independent professional wrestling, and they're doing it once again on August 12th. Titles and careers will be on the line inside of the 15-foot-high steel cage. That is Saturday, August 12th at Mark's Court Time in Elizabeth, Pennsylvania. To get your tickets, go to iwcwrestling.com. Hey everybody, this is Herman James for the What's Real Podcast, and I'm here to just let you know to welcome you to Goofs Are Goofs. And we're back, and it's that time once again. So the J, what do we got this week on the goof front? Well, what a beautiful day. Hey, yeah, we always got to set up the setting. The frolicking pussy willows, the dolphins, the beluga whale, our beautiful, huge, growing young anteater, Ripley. We are so blessed here in the world of the What's Real Podcast. Hey, and welcome one and all to episode 175, Goose or Goose 175, and the waterfall of Goose, ever flowing. Hey, Ed, you know it all too well. Uh, we're starting off. We talked about this off the air because this was a, a great one. A big viral video to kick things off for GRG 175. A Boston police officer was hurt after tumbling down a children's slide at the newly renovated playground at City Hill Plaza. And for those listening, <laughs> this dude looks like he got shit out of a dragon's ass. I mean, yep. a bat out of hell. He's backwards and upside down, just <laughs> getting pinballed, and his gun goes flying, his handcuffs come off. Dude, the best part of this, too, isn't even when you see him come flying out. It's the sound that it makes when he's clearly at the top you can't see. And it's he's just getting thrashed in this fucking thing. It's like that scene from Death Ring when they pan out, out of the tattoo shop that we we're just talking about yeah literally he's in there like, sound effects. and he just comes flying out like 185 miles an hour yeah but i found this uh ch- check philip lewis but it's all over you know just google it if uh, you're wondering it's a fucking hilarious video uh, it is and I, I, I you know, it we do want to say you know, to the to the cop you know, get well soon because he did suffer a severe head injury so you don't want well, to that too much but no, I do. Yeah, you, you can wish him all the well you want. I think it's fucking hilarious that he's a goddamn doofus. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we talk about this a lot on GRG. Hey, Ed, so why not keep the tradition going here at the What's Real podcast? First, there were killer sharks, then cocaine bears, and now 
murder sloths. Did you hear about Slother House? No, but uh, I heard that they're they're well known for bringing on a very very drawn out and slow death. Yeah, I think that's something <laughs> like that. The tagline is surrounding. You know, it's like we're gonna kill you slowly or some shit. But here's the the great thing that uh, I can say as a struggling independent filmmaker that's busted my ass for 15 years. This is getting a theatrical release. Slother House. I mean, of you course, see this preview. Is. No, with the nor do I want to. I have absolutely no no interest in any of this shit. This is fucking stupid as possible. And this is going to create a terrible trend because it's going to lead lead to sloth porn, which is going to be really gross. But this is that's the world we live in. Hey, y'all. I I love that everything's becoming a goddamn uh, satire now. Yeah, we we said before, man, we live in an episode of South Park or The Simpsons these days. I mean, it's True. really like real life South Park in this <laughs> Dude. <laughs> okay, just as a side note here, this isn't really goofs or goofs. This is just from one of my favorite accounts that's on fucking uh, Twitter. Uh, if any of you guys out there, I'm sending, I'm texting this over to you, the J from Super 70 uh, Sports. Oh, yeah, I love it. It's a picture of Gary Coleman in a Padres uniform when he's a kid. And the J, read what the tweet is for the folks. My favorite Disney movie remains the 1979 classic, Honey, I Shrunk Dave Winfield. <laughs> that is great. That is a great account. <laughs> Fucking <sighs> Coleman references. But yeah, Honey, and, and just, just while we're Winfield. at it, the, the official Slother House tagline is, don't rush, die slow. So there you go. Great. Yeah, you can, and of course, from what I've seen in the trailer, the thing moves fucking fast. So it, um, everybody's a fucking genius. Story time, as we've been doing on GRG. In 1932, hey, a group of Australian soldiers and farmers waged an unconventional war against a horde of emus, large flightless birds that were destroying crops and livestock in Western Australia. The Great Emu War as it was dubbed, was a military failure and a public embarrassment for the Australian government. The soldiers were armed with machine guns and trucks, but they proved to be inefficient against the fast and agile emus who scattered and regrouped at will. The emus also seemed to have a remarkable ability to survive bullets, as some of them were reported to have taken up to five shots before falling. The soldiers managed to kill only about 250 emus out of an estimated 20,000. The war ended after six weeks, with the emus declared the victors. So yet another movie in our growing library of proposed films, The Great Emu War. Yeah, and somebody should literally make it like dead serious. Like in it, it's like some of the greatest actors actors of our time against the emus. Like <laughs> yeah. Christian Bale and Matt Damon versus 20,000 <laughs> emus. And it's like in uh and starring is the lead emu general is none other than George C. Scott. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Uh-huh. This, this one's great. So this is uh, our next viral video. Sending this one to you, Hey Ed, because I want to get your take on what you th- how you think this kid's neck is. Darby Allen at the company picnic, it's called. It was actually posted by uh, Nyla Rose. And for those listening, it's a kid trying to do a viral stunt. He dives over one picnic table and lands headfirst on the bench of another. But the mystery is the way he lands. It looks like his head did a Beetlejuice. 
and completely turned. Dude, okay. So, so what do you think like happened to, to his neck, hey, Eli? I like to think that I'm a fucking master at neck injuries because I've yes. seen so much of this shit in my life, and as you are too. That's why I wanted to get your take. You're a second. This is here. the most confusing Ex- looking thing yep. I've ever seen. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, I assume just from what I know about physics and things that his neck immediately was just grinded into sawdust, but that's just a guess. I'm not a doctor. But I know what you, it literally looks like his head shrinks three sizes. <laughs> it like twists and then his body also twists, but at a different time than his neck and head twist. Very, yeah, I don't, very weird landing. And well, and here's the other thing, which we always bring up when we see shit like this. I don't know what the flying fuck was the desired effect here. Like, what were you aiming to do? I think he was just trying to clear the first picnic table. By not, by, I don't know, man. Yeah, There's blindly shit, diving. There's shit piled on both picnic tables. You could have easily moved the other one. And you also could have like did it so that you're landing on fucking grass as opposed to the concrete that he would have felt. Like, oddly enough, this could have been worse. As, as we Maybe. always say, it's more questions than answers for a lot of these viral videos. You want to know the aftermath. I saw a tweet uh, response to this. some dudes like I'm telling my kids this was Stephen Hawking, <laughs> <laughs> and then the internet and then some some dudes like ladies and gentlemen the fastest chiropractor session of all time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the kids probably like wow I feel great after that. Get him into the national Olympics team. <laughs> uh, this this was a good one. Hey, you know, this was a, a national CNN uh, story this week. Three women were injured in a very rare otter attack in Montana's Jefferson River. Did you hear about the women that were attacked by an otter? No, oddly enough, I'm not up on all the latest goings on in Montana. (laughs) Yeah. And neither is anyone else. An evening of inner tubing turned perilous for three Montana women when they were attacked by an otter. They were floating along the Jefferson River on Wednesday when they observed one or two otters. The Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks said in a news release, at least one otter attacked the women who called 911 when they were able to get out of the water. All three women received treatment for their injuries, one of which had very serious injuries and was flown to a, a hospital via helicopter. So, you know, attacks from otters are rare, hey, Ed, but they can be protective of themselves and their young, especially at close distances. So as we say here on the What's Real podcast, we are a scientific podcast that can help you survive life. Beware of otters. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Well, if, apparently in Montana, they'll fuck your shit up. Not, not one of not guys, you know, we're cleaning up here after TNP. Uh, it was overhearing me here in the studio and was asking what, 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 you know, for our advice, like what they should do if they are attacked by an otter. And if you are attacked by an otter, you do fight back. You know, you fight back, you get away out of the water and seek medical attention. Because that motherfucker, you're not coming out unscathed. Very weird that you have to worry about how the fuck you're going to fight otters. Hey, man, it's 2023 America. Yeah, you never know. It's true. Did you hear about the one? An 87-year-old woman says she suffered, or no, I'm sorry, she offered a young man who entered her Brunswick, Maine home while she was sleeping a late-night snack to keep him busy until police arrived, and it worked. So she ended up fending off a home intruder by offering him a snack. 
All I can think of is fucking Scorsese's mom and Goodfellas, like making everybody pasta and shit, but it's really just to call the feds instead of feeding them. <laughs> yeah. That's what, like one of the first things on here is like, yeah, I, I once asked my parents what they would do if a robber entered our home. Their response was just this, give them some coffee. So I guess, you know, kill them with kindness. Uh, I guess these people are trying to hate you. Or cyanide, because you could put that in the coffee. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, that's what I would go for, because I always have cyanide on hand. Yep, I know that about you. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty weird about that. I just sent you this one, because this is a consistent topic here on Goose or Goose. AI robots will walk dogs, play ball with them. Uh, the idea would could become a reality sooner than we expect, and the footage is... As always, we reference James Cameron. I mean, this is Judgment Day, you know, completely foreshadowed here. This this robot's yeah. just taking care of this dog, playing ball with them, taking them for walks. Yeah, you got to love people because it's like, that's what I I need a pet because I want companionship. And then I also want an AI robot because I don't want to have to take care of it or do anything. Yep, that is how people Amazing. are. Amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, people. Yeah. So this the one, fuck? this is a story about Douglas Brent. Hey, you know, I was telling you a bit about Eam because I really looked up to, to him after hearing his story. And Douglas Brent was an American Navy petty officer who was taken captive during uh, Vietnam. He was considered dumb by his captors, though, and they gave him the, the nickname The Stupid. He acted like an imbecile, refusing to speak. Instead, he continuously hummed the song. Throughout his imprisonment, he remained in a similar state to the extent that the Vietnamese captors believe he had some form of cognitive impairment. Upon his return to the United States after his release, Bent recited the names of about 256 fellow POWs who were being searched for by the U.S. military. Remarkably, Brent had memorized the names by associating them with the tune of Old MacDonald Had a Farm, which he had used previously to hum during his captivity. Okay. In the first comment, I'm scared of this man and God. <laughs> so, Douglas awesome. Brent, American hero. Um, this is the one that I always try to ruin your dinner with. Hey, Eel, I uh, just sent this to you. It's uh, one Great. of the most nasty viral videos I've seen in some time. And Fantastic. for the visual, it, it asks, what am I looking at? There's a very bloody man in a parking garage that a dude that's walking his dog in a parking garage is filming. And he has a humongous, I don't know, Holy is that a tree branch through his stomach and his back? Dude. He's impaled. I've been impaled, but this dude, he's brutally impaled. What the fuck? You see he has uh, panda dunks on too? No, those are Jordans oh, of are some they? sort. But, you know, he clearly has way bigger problems. Yeah. I don't like... What did this dude, this dude like, yeah, man, I just got into a fist fight and all of a sudden all the, uh, Mel Gibson from Braveheart came out of nowhere and speared me through the stomach. Yeah, I don't know how this happened. And once again, we bring it up. More questions and answers on this one. Hey, yo. Well, you got to love it, too. Like, I don't know what, like, what is he attempting to do? Like, I'm, I'll be back. Bro. I think he's going to the hospital. Yeah, I mean, you might be right on that. I mean, like, he might be in a, a ho- he might guy. be at the hospital in the parking garage. Hopefully for him. This is a dude that I'm legitimately like. I don't know if this dude made it. <laughs> so like, I don't. Uh, yeah, rest, rest in uh, hopeful life to this individual. I'm sending this. Yeah, this is what our gross nightmare fuel animal segment. 
No, perfect. They're long and skinny. They're boomerang headed and coated in toxic mucus. They're invasive hammerhead flatworms, and they've been hiding in plain sight in the U.S. for a long time. Nope, we ain't fucking doing this one. Just yeah. move along. No idea. Just don't, don't fuck with any sort of worms and stay the fuck away from everything. That's my advice. Yeah, be very, very careful because this next one shows it all. A naked and afraid contestant finds ticks on his penis. Well, yeah. I mean, you're naked in the fucking middle of the jungle, asshole. What do you think's going to happen? Yeah, I sent it to you because the picture's hilarious. He's just pointing down at the ticks. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I was like, I don't really want to see a tick-infested dick. But no, you sent me an actual picture that doesn't it doesn't show that. Thank Christ. I mean, ticks are attracted to wood. Hey, Eel. I was going to say they should change the name to fucking naked and really fucking afraid. Yeah. This Jesus. one, this one is uh, just, you know, you don't like to point. We're big, huge advocates of mental health here at the What's Real podcast. But I just sent you this one. This woman identifies as a horse. And they show her daily life and she's just walking around like a horse. Which I guess okay. is kind of cool. After seeing this, uh, it kind of makes me think uh, that maybe I was a little too hard on this. Uh, like, can we just talk about the hammerhead flatworm instead? Dude, I think I'd rather. What is so do that. ironic, though? Watch this for a little bit. She does the jump that the first goof or goof tried to do over the uh, picnic table, but she does it okay. gracefully, like a trained and if she- horse. See, and here's the thing. If, if this woman identifies as a horse, does it mean I can ride her into town whenever I feel like it? I mean, there's probably weight limits. Yeah, well, I mean, got to strengthen the... Oh, my God, dude. Do you see her go over what the is, picnic table? Oh, man, dude. Holy fucking orthopedic problems, I'm telling you. Yeah, this lady her, her lower no back shot. And, dude, I don't know how she landed that with her arms. I'm like, you're going to blow your fucking shoulders out doing that shit. For yeah. sure. This this was this, the... Uh, oh, I hate, I hate life. This was the American viral video of the week for sure. It was the brawl in Missouri. Oh, shout out to my man Seahawk, who always comes with the fucking shit. Yeah. Dude, this brawl, this is one of the best things I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah, for those that are, uh, are unaware, a racial brawl broke out when... A black security guard told these white people that were parking their boat that they couldn't park there and chaos ensues to say the least. And it all leads to a dude wielding a steel chair. Like it's the attitude era. And and like Seahawk said, he's like, he did that lady. Like she was mankind. And she's dude, sitting there <laughs> did you see what came of this? Like the police put out a statement for it. And I don't remember what the dude's name is, but they were looking, they're like, and so, and so, uh, who's the guy with the chair? He's like, contact your local law enforcement. They'd like to speak with you. And like all the fucking comments that I saw were people being like, I didn't see no chair. And then the other people were like this. And like, there's people were doing like, you know, like gifts of shit. And it's like this guy at home right now. And he's just like, <laughs> like, they're like, he ain't fucking calling the cops, dude. This dude's <laughs> gone. It's a rat. You're not going to do DNA testing to figure out if it was him. I sent you the one that had a, a Photoshop meme of RVD to the one dude when, they, when he was holding the chair up. It looks like he's <laughs> doing the, 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 van, the Van Daminator. Yes, um, definitely. And, and the other part of this, too, did you see the recreation? 
I did. It's fucking it's, hilarious. It's hilarious. These these dudes did a recreation. They're like fucking with their black friend, and he's just going with it. And they have the dude swimming because for those that didn't see too, there's a dude that swims across the canal to be a part of the it, fight and shit. I mean, it's there's so much AKA, to break down in this. It's too much, hey, Ed. Aquaman. Aquaman. <laughs> which is hilarious <laughs> um this one i want to try to get this job and my wife was jealous because i was close to getting it i just sent this to you a walrus calf is under 24 7 cuddle care after he was found wandering alone far inland in northern alaska it was apparent that the wayward calf would not survive long without intervention so this woman gets to just cuddle this walrus for 24 hours yeah i mean you know it's better than probably most jobs, I would assume. Yeah, I mean, how can I'd you rather cuddle, you? I'd rather cuddle a walrus for 24 hours than have to deal with any type of human being in a customer service atmosphere. That's for fucking sure. I'd ra- Dude, I'd rather fucking cuddle the goddamn, that fucking worm that we were just talking about before dealing with people. So <laughs> yeah. This next one is an absolute vibe killer. Hey, Ed, when a bear takes out a moose during your wedding. These people are kind of on a dock in, in what looks like Alaska or you know, definitely somewhere in the middle of nowhere. And as they're exchanging vows, the photographer's like, oh, my God. And they all look over and a bear is just eating the fuck out of a moose. Yeah. And you know why? Because it's a bear. Uh, because the, the animal kingdom doesn't give a fuck about your wedding day. I'm sorry, they don't. Life goes on for them, and he was hungry and grabbed a moose. Well, my your dad always, my dad always said that that's uh, good luck. You know, if a bear eats a moose during your wedding, you're going to be... Yeah, your da- yeah, your dad did always say that. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. Like you're going to be married for life. Absolutely. That's why I've been trying to fucking set up a... It's like uh, faces of death. Yeah. It's like you're on your wedding day somewhere. You're like, all right, now did you get the moose? Yeah. yeah. All right, now do you not attract the bear to it? Because we needed to do it at 4.12 p.m. or it doesn't work. <laughs> this this next viral video, this woman's mad at her order at McDonald's. It's one of those videos. So she throws the order at her, but the manager throws a blender at her. <laughs> it just takes her out. Oh, yeah. I, gotta, I can't wait for yeah, this Yeah, watch one. when the blender hits go. her. <laughs> and then, of course, she falls back into the floor as wet sign. Jesus, dude, this, okay, so this reminds me of another video that I saw. So, like, there is this guy and this lady, and they're, like, in a grocery store or something, right? And apparently the lady kept bumping the dude with the cart. So, like, she bumps him the last time, and he just starts walking away. He goes over to this other area where there's another empty shopping cart. And the lady at this point's like, talking on a phone or something. So what does the dude do? Fucking Hercules is this fucking shopping cart over his head, and oh, I saw with that. it. Yeah, and like she, it's like, dude, she went into the ninth circle of hell after he hit her with this fucking thing. Then I'm like, hey, well, you know, quit, f- just leave fucking people alone. Yeah. God damn it, what is wrong with you? I mean, I don't, I don't get this with people. Like, seriously, can you possibly imagine a situation where you're in a McDonald's? And something happens with your order to the point where you're throwing shit at people. No, like you're you're a fucking a wild animal at the zoo, just chucking shit at people or something. Like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, I'm I'm very tempered now. Hey, I would not be doing that. My God, I'm sending this one to you. It's hilarious. It's titled uh, "Traffic Stop Yields Approximately." This is from the Lawrenceville Police Department, not not the Pittsburgh Lawrenceville. I don't believe. 
Traffic stop yields approximately 0.7 grams of suspected marijuana. Good work, Officer Thomas. And it like looks like when our stash is pretty much at the end in the first comment, yeah. I've seen bigger busts on Paw, Paw Patrol. Dude, I've literally <laughs> rolled seven grams into a blunt before. This is fucking horseshit. <laughs> yeah. Thank God you're really keeping the streets safe out here, Jay Thomas, you dingleberry. Maybe we should get... You know what we should do as a reward for his big bust? What? Uh, take him to this slide that's in Boston. Yeah, there you go. He'd really, he'd really enjoy going down it, I'm sure. Tell him there's eight grams of weed at the bottom of it. I'm sorry to have to do this to you. Hey, I apologize in advance. As for forgiveness, You're not sorry as they all. say. <laughs> but this is going to be the second possible death that we watch in the, the last five minutes. Perfect. Um, if you watch this video, it's... A bull, you know, one of the bull things in Spain, and that's oh, why I yeah. wanted to to show this because these assholes set the bull's horns what on fire, the fuck? and this dude gets taken out to high hell. He gets ripped out of his pants and shoes. His bare ass is out. He gets gored by the bull, and he's left lifeless. Oh, so, and I, I sorry if I yelled in your guys' ears. I forgot the part where the bull flips him, and he's yeah, left so completely you, lifeless. And then do you see how they take him away? Yeah, his dick's hanging dude, out. They're lighting an animal's fucking horn on fire. It's mauling it, uh, mauling a guy. I got to see his cock and balls, which I didn't want to. But the flip uh, people, is ridiculous when he throws Dude, it. people Ugh. are like beating the bull with shit, and the bull just doesn't give a flying fuck. Like, uh, Do you think that dude you know, uh, has passed? I don't know, but I mean, if yeah. he did, then good move, dickhead. What the fuck did you think was going to happen? Yeah. Dude, I love. I just realized this because it keeps playing. Did you see how his pants got ripped off? Yeah, <laughs> it's the greatest. It's like when they're all on the stage. Yeah. It just it somehow just rips his pants off, like it was trying <laughs> to do hard. it on purpose. Yeah. And there's just like a half dead fucking naked dude in the middle of this. Like, <laughs> it's like yeah. Let's how how much worse could it get? Like, well, the thing could flip you off backwards rip your pants off and a whole crowd of people sees your dick as you're basically dead for real yeah. like my god dude that we're, oh, we're going off man. with even more of a bang than that hey Ed, i just sent you this one it's tough to explain but that's what we do here at the what's real podcast it's a picture of a, a young kid bobby franklin makes a, a <laughs> emoji of his face and just says face ass <laughs> You see that? Yes. <laughs> oh, I don't. God. I don't know exactly what he meant here, but and and just uh, to, to go off with a, a true bang because you know we reference Godzilla and we love our animal talk and this is a a collab. I just sent this to you. The Godzilla of seals. Look how big this fuck is as a seal. All and right, you guys listening can look it up. The Godzilla of seals. Jesus. 17-ton seal. And do you, you see the what first the comment on Twitter? It says, killer whales off the coast like, and it's that picture of that black dude in the yellow suit behind the tree. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but as I say to my bro mama from another mama, between all the stuff we covered today, murder sloths, officers tumbling down slides, <laughs> emu wars... It goes on God, and on. God Celia. God Celia. I love it. <laughs> and goofs. 
are gifts. Well, that's about it for us this week here on the show. Uh, shout out to our producer, Cam, for all the hard work he puts into the program. Because as we know here, nobody beats the whiz. Have a good vacation, by the way, Cam. Uh, also, uh, the J, Clang Clang. Clang Clang. Still undefeated. Still the greatest podcast tag team championships holders of the fucking unit. Whatever. I don't know what I'm saying. And we're the champions uh, of whores, too, remember? Yeah, that that's true. The whore champions that we are. Um, if you guys are listening on iTunes, free free feel. Yeah, free what feel. The five star. You know what? Fuck this. I'm doing it all. If you guys are on tunes of I and you're pod listening, uh, five review star us because it helps ears and eyes get more algorithms. Um, and of course, you can listen to us on all of your favorite podcasting platforms, such as Podcast Google, Bean Pod, IFI Spot, Tunes I, Papple A, and all that shit. And Pictures Churchill. Add, yeah, and pictureschurchill.org. And uh, if you have anything you, you'd like to send to the show, you could do so at com.gmail at podrealwatts. Send it so, via uh, delivery pigeon. Yes, and before we get out of here, I hear revving it up, calling the J, so rev it up, the J. <laughs> revving it up like I'm hung like Godzilla. <laughs> but yeah, we're delirious, and we love you for being on the journey. Usual shout-outs. Love the show. To the wizard behind the boards, thanks what you do, Cam. We were in another technical hell this week, and you always help us out. We pull it through. Consistent, constant, baby. I love that, and we appreciate that. Hey, y'all. Another blast, man. Delirious or not, it's always the great escape. Steve McQueen in it, all up in this. As always, if you're listening to me, much love no, to you. No, the Jay, no, you fucked up. How'd I fuck it's up? The great, it's the great escape where Chad McQueen in it. That's great. Didn't even think of all the times I referenced Steve McQueen. And we've had Chad McQueen on here a couple times because we covered him in Firepower with Warrior and Gary oh, Daniel. That, that one's a classic, though. That was good. And not like this bullshit yeah so uh stay safe stay healthy you'll hear the j next week so that's it for us this week on episode two million and four don't forget to join us next week as we start all over at episode one fuck you guys thanks for listening uh, don't be safe i hope you all get sick and we will never see you again right here on the putz what cast wad what's real what's real